Paul Wolfowitz, the former U.S. Deputy Secretary of Defense under George W. Bush, delivered this unusually prophetic and chilling speech on June of 2001, three months before 9-11, at the West Point Military Academy. The attack on Pearl Harbor. Interestingly, that surprise attack was preceded by an astonishing number of unheeded warnings and missed signals. Yet military history is full of surprises, even if few are as dramatic or as memorable as Pearl Harbor. Surprise happens so often that it's surprising that we're still surprised by it. Very few of these surprises are the product of simple blindness or simple stupidity. Almost always there have been warnings and signals that have been missed, sometimes because there were just too many warnings to pick the right one out. So today we're going to be doing kind of a follow-up to a very extensive uh, 9-11 broadcast. Um, it was actually a two-part. First part, 9-11, an hour and a half broadcast, and the second part was all on the anthrax attacks for about an hour. We'll link to both of those whole episodes in the timeline right here at the beginning of this radio show. The timeline's interactive, which means that you can go and look at any of the links and sources that we're talking about. Um, to back up what we're saying. Also check out those other broadcasts. But today we're going to be going over kind of everything that's happened since um, and also just new evidence and, and new kind of realizations that we've had after studying this subject for years and years and kind of how it all fits together and integrates into what's happening today. It's almost impossible if you're, like say, if you're raising children right now who are just becoming old enough to want to learn about American history, how do you explain to them what's changed and why? And how did we get from point A to point B? Yeah, and this is a point that you brought up to me that I actually had the honor of talking to Chris Hedges about um, and, and some other people who are whistleblowers like Thomas Drake and some other people is that in every other event in history that's been the the preemption for war fervor, war hysteria mentality, <clears throat> it's always been an event and then some sort of curtailment of civil liberties and then a restoration of that civil liberties and then the end of a war. You know, others, yes. other, other than the Soviet, um, other than the Soviet, Soviets as our enemy in the Cold War mentality, I can't compare this current war on terror to any other period in, in American history, certainly. But it's even more insidious and scarier now because you have 10 plus years after 9-11 and we're still seeing things as draconian as the NDAA, National Defense Authorization Act, you know, erosion of habeas corpus due process no i mean surveillance is so rampant it's not even an issue anymore privacy is gone uh what you said you know kids growing up in a post 9-11 world have no concept of what those rights meant and they never will and there's no end in sight to this i mean the war on terror is just perpetual today um compared to our first 9-11 episode i was thinking we could take a just a slightly different approach than we did on that one, what we did on that first 9/11 episode, we just kind of went through all the different things and 
anomalies and what we've called the coincidence theory of that day. How many different things had to happen that were irregular for the attacks to take place. And then, of course, we suggested that there was probably inside involvement of some kind. I mean, most of the evidence out there points to that. And then there was an obvious cover-up. There's no question about that after the event with the 9-11 Commission and all that stuff. But the different approach that I was thinking we could take is is specifically honing in on the things that were presented to us, you know, either by the media or the government that were designed to emotionally rile us up. And, and, and what those those attempts to emotionally rally and, uh, rile us up led to. So, for instance, um, you know, the anthrax attacks were rallying us up and getting us scared of chemical weapons, and that's how we got into Iraq. Or the underwear bomber is how we now accept naked body scanners at the airport. Basically those kind of things. Yeah, so, and in, in, in conjunction with what you're saying right now, there's been a group of archivists who have released um, a bunch of, like, Newsweek, Time magazines, all these things from the day and days following 9-11, not from the day, but I mean days after 9-11 and, and even in the next weeks, releasing these publications and scanning them and, and having this archive online where you can really see the propaganda machine, I mean, in full effect, 150% going full force. It's absurd. I mean, the fact yeah. that they had all the, all the information about all the hijackers all ready to print the fact that they had all Absolutely. this stuff about Bin Laden all ready to print. I mean, we're talking about days and even all the buildings. Yeah. I mean, before there were any there was any sort of NIST report or anything at all, there was already a publication ready to go talking in full detail about the buildings, how they fell, and also all these countries that we need to invade. Libya, Syria, Iran, yeah. I mean, all these things were on the Who are list. Who all these dangerous people yeah. that, that might have attacked us? Yep. When you look at clips, you know, you watch 9-11 conspiracy movies or clips from 9-11 out of context on YouTube, it's really hard to remember how vitriolic and intense the media coverage was. Not just on the day, but like for the multiple days and weeks and even months after happen and it completely runs counter to the idea that you know the government is this bumbling bureaucracy that doesn't you know isn't organized and doesn't know how to do stuff well this was the most organized government fed media campaign since the the original gulf war where cnn basically turned into a media uh, spectacle with all their live coverage of the first gulf war so you know, if you want to believe that the government was so incompetent that they couldn't see 9-11 coming, well, they were extremely competent in their media campaign. I mean, they had everything just ready to go, laid out, um, extremely yeah. <laughs> present, all these presentations, CGI imagery. I mean, they had people hard at work, like almost like in a movie graphics department, you know, doing stuff for them. More but than Robbie, ever but Robbie, they just couldn't put it all together. Don't you realize yeah, how yeah, dumb yeah. Bush is? Bush is so dumb. He saw, I mean, all, you know, the government might be really smart. There might be really smart people seeing all the evidence piling up and up and up. But, you know, Bush was just so stupid. (laughs) (laughs) So, so yeah, we're, we're sitting here. It's, you know, it's over a decade after 9-11 happened. I think we did our first 9-11 episode in 2010. If I could say one more thing before you continue is that this was really the point, and you just kind of said this, but I wanted to repeat something really good that I heard is that the media became stenographers. Absolutely. I mean, they, this is like the most intense in that regard they ever got. Right. I mean, everything was, things were just all coming straight from the Pentagon, even media outlets that you might consider more nuanced and intelligent now if you go back and read you know guardian articles from around the time of 9-11 or you can read 
articles by companies that you might think are a little bit more skeptical, like oh, you know MSNBC or whatever, and go back to the day of nine eleven, and they're just as crazy as oh, something yeah. Fox News. Even even the written. New York Times. Remember Judith Miller? She went to pull up to their prize, and she even yeah. re- was repeating all this about amassing, literally quote, amassing stockpiles of nuclear weapons with Iraq. And this was well after. Mm-hmm. Um, people were already waking up to that. I mean, there was already a mass resistance against the Iraq war before we invaded. And here the New York Times was peddling pure propaganda. And you're right. I mean, the Guardian, Independent, CNN, MSNBC, Fox, all of them. Fox isn't surprising, but all these other ones are. And they literally do say Bush aid, colon, da-da-da-da-da. Like, they'll just, like, print things as the article. I mean, I I found hundreds of these. Yeah, I just found hundreds of these. And I did a little report for Breaking the Set. I'll link to it right now just about the Iraq war buildup. I mean, that's just Iraq. Yeah. I yeah. mean, but can you imagine right after 9-11 how bad it was? I mean, it's hard to find those well, yeah. online, but... Well, yeah, I mean, there was no, there was absolutely no argument from the press or any counter opinions to the idea of going into Afghanistan. It right. was just like a given. It was just like, fuck, okay, we got to get revenge on someone. Okay, this, these guys, you know, yeah. let's, let's do this. Well, well, it's interesting what Dennis Kucinich said about, um, about Afghanistan when I asked him if he regretted his vote for going and invading and occupying a country to find one man. And he was like, that's not what we voted for. He was like, they criminally, I mean, it was like, it was like a lie even to all the congressmen and stuff who voted for. Of course, that's no excuse. Of yeah. course. I do think, I do think Dennis Kucinich is backpedaling, not even backpedaling. I just don't, I just, I just think he knows that that's bullshit. I don't, I just can't believe that he believes that. And I also, mean, I know, yeah, right? Would you really trust a government body to be like, we'll no. just go and strike a few things and then we'll no, get out of there? because of course, any any person who's familiar with American history knows as soon as you unleash the beast, you can't <laughs> wrap it back up, put it back in its cage. I mean, well, that shit's going to go out of control. And interestingly you know? enough, Dennis Kucinich was one of the only people who initiated stuff about 9-11 truth, like a new investigation type thing mm-hmm. when he was a, a congressman. So that is, I should have asked him about that, but... Well, of Ron course Paul he knows, did also, you know? but he backpedaled on it later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And Let I have actually some interesting... verify that. But but continue because you have a ton of great stuff that you want to go over. And uh, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> We've been wanting to do a follow up to nine eleven for a long time. So I just I basically put out put together a timeline of what I consider the, to be the most important transformative events that happened after nine eleven. And I guess we could go all the way back to, you know, the day of 9-11. And just basically starting with the very first, like almost from the perspective of a purse, like a, just the average Joe. What were they subjected to? What what stuck, what stuck with them the most? And what changed their ideas the most mm-hmm. about why they should accept, you know, stricter security airport, why it's okay to invade Afghanistan? So kind of like, you know, the first, th- the first time we were exposed to this was the World Trade Center disaster, as CNN called it. Yeah. This, Justin, you are looking at obviously a very disturbing live shot there. That is the World Trade Center, and we have unconfirmed reports this morning that a plane has crashed. Obviously, People woke up to this footage of the World Trade Center on fire, and people just thought a plane had crashed into it. No one knew what the fuck happened. So that happened at 8.43 in the morning. The first tower was hit by a plane. At 9.03, about 20 minutes later, Tower 2 was hit, or the second tower was hit by a plane. That was pretty much when the idea of it being terrorism started to be broadcast on the news. People are all speculating about it. What is this a terrorist attack? And people are already starting to ask, who did this? At 9.30 a.m., 
is is when Bush got up from his chair after reading My, My Pet Goat and went over to a podium to do a speech in Florida at this elementary school about how there's been a terrorist attack on the United States. He was already using that rhetoric. Today we've had a national tragedy. Two airplanes have crashed into the World Trade Center in an apparent terrorist attack on our country. It wasn't very specific. It was extremely vague. And this is actually, so if you think about it, 903 is when the second tower was hit. Uh, maybe two minutes later, Andy Card walked over to mm-hmm. Bush and said the nation is under attack. Not only did he sit there for 10 more minutes after he was told that, he stayed in the school and continued to do a speech that was already pre-scheduled for 9.30 in the morning. That it was, I mean, this was already going to happen. So what, I mean, what a better place to assassinate the President of the United States. I mean, if you were going to coordinate some sort of attack. School full of kids where this is, the press was already all there at 9.30 for a press conference that he was going to do. That was already scheduled. Obviously, obviously they knew Bush was safe. (laughs) Like, Bush probably even knew it was safe because wouldn't you be like, get me the fuck out of here now? But if I was the president, I would immediately get up off the chair (laughs) as soon as someone (laughs) told me the nation was under attack and say... Who's attacking us? Where have they attacked us? Um, what's our response plan? You know, the fundamental questions that that's your job. That's like, you know, a president for the most part is just a fucking guy in a suit who just like doesn't do anything right. really of significance. Right. Those are the times when that's the, when the president's supposed to act. You don't put risk the lives of hundreds of children. Well, that's, you know. a, that's a great point, is that Andy Card literally could not have said more to him than the country's under attack. I mean, he's talked to him for about five seconds. Yeah. So, I mean, to sit said, there yeah. for ten minutes and just bewildered without saying, who's attacking us, what's going on, is absolutely insane. I mean, it's just not logical at all. Completely illogical. <laughs> I've never yeah. even really thought about that specific aspect of it. But anyway, continue. <laughs> yeah, it's completely logical. <laughs> so 9.30 a.m. is when Bush is doing this speech, right? So at this at the same time Bush is doing this speech is is when we get that timeline in of Norma Mineta in the room with Dick Cheney and this underling. And Dick Cheney is being told by this underling the plane is fifteen miles out. The plane is ten miles out. out. Um, the young man also said to the vice president, Do the orders still stand? And uh, the vice president turned and whipped his neck around and said of course, the orders still stand. Have you heard anything to the contrary? Well, at the time, I didn't know what all that meant. And um, the flight you're referring to is the the one. flight that came into the Pentagon. Pentagon. So that is happening while Bush is doing the speech. Nine thirty-seven. The Pentagon is hit by a plane. Okay, these are live pictures now of the Pentagon. You can see this thick black smoke. This is no trash fire, folks. So no evacuation order issued by anyone um, in the command structure. This is even after an employee in the Pentagon speculates to himself that the, one of the targets is probably going to be the Pentagon. Right. Besides the White House. They were, like, taking, like, an in-office, you know, impromptu poll. Like, what do you guys think the next target's going to be? And people were like, the White House, you know, if they do D.C., what's it going to be? And he was like, I think it's going to be here. No evacuation order issued. Even after Cheney was, there was an eyewitness to him being in a room when he was being told that the plane is on its way to hit the Pentagon. Call it negligent homicide, uh, criminal negligence, whatever you want to call it. I mean, at the very least, he didn't issue an evacuation order at the Pentagon. 
Why right. would he not do that? Right, at the very That's least. Again, at the very, yeah. You think Bush fucked up on the day of 9-11 by waiting in the chair for so long. Well, Cheney fucked up. But yeah, Cheney was act was sitting as acting president at that moment. Yeah. So he so basically he failed and dropped the ball. If you want to give the absolute best case scenario. Absolute best case scenario <laughs> is that he criminally was negligent and let 200 people die under his watch. Yeah. Best case scenario. I'm not joking. That is no, best no, case that, scenario. No, no, it's almost the it's, same. It's on record. No, just because he's vice president, people think that's a harsh thing to say. But if you imagine if you were like a fucking like air traffic controller right. and you fell asleep. And you, like, let two planes crash into each other. It was your job to not do that. <laughs> right, right. And just to remind people who probably don't, maybe don't know this, is a pretty well-known fact for people in the independent media community, but that Donald Rumsfeld, the day before 9-11, had actually announced at a press conference at the Pentagon that they were missing $2.3 trillion, and that it was this all this error in, um, you know, mismanagement of funds and stuff. And it was like, how do you lose trillions of dollars? That That's insane. And then the next day, just it was really never talked about again because the next day was nine eleven. But anyway, yeah. that's just a side. And note. that's a that's a whole other thread that someone needs to spend their whole career right. investigating because that's fucking big. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's a huge deal. So okay, nine thirty seven, the Pentagon was hit. Oh, um, and and we need to talk about who told Norman Mineta. I mean, if Norman Mineta testified on under oath that this is what happened in front of him. Who's the who's the aide that told Cheney the plane's fifty miles out? We need to well, exactly. find that out because they would know what order. Exactly. Norman Mineta has never explained what exactly what order it was. Right. When he was asked to clarify what he said, all he respond all he said in response was everything that I said in that testimony. I I meant every word of mm-hmm. it. I don't want to change anything that I said. So he's being tight lipped about. I mean, because obviously someone want to know what that order was. So- 20 minutes after the Pentagon is hit, uh, the first tower collapses. Five minutes after that, the crash in Shanksville happens. The crash, in quotes. Mm -hmm. Because it doesn't look like any other plane crash that I've seen. Uh, Yeah, I mean, just, I mean, come on. It's obvious above all else that that was completely shot down. Yeah, or at least maybe exploded in midair or something. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, we don't know what happened to it, but it was in pieces all over the place. There was no discernible plane wreck. And even um, people who I've talked to in the military have said that, you know, they all knew immediately that there was a plane that was shot down, and then the story kind of changed later. Everyone acknowledges that that was done as a feel-good takeaway from 9-11, that the people took yep. down the plane. That's that's basic. I mean, if you don't believe that, then, then definitely look into that alone. <laughs> if you don't believe anything else about... You know, questions about 9-11 or the official story, that in itself is actually completely an impossible story. Everyone knows that that was faked. (laughs) Yeah, and what's also interesting about the Let's Roll story is that it was first delivered to the public by the CEO of Oracle. Like the giant computer company that is like a business-to-business company that sells databases to other companies. And really? then Cheney started to, he claimed he heard it from someone inside the government, and then Cheney immediately started echoing it later in that day. So that was kind of like him and Cheney are like the two people to sort of invent that story. I mean, that's where the narrative comes from. It doesn't even come from like the relatives who got the phone calls. It came from them. Right. I mean, that's, if you trace it back to the source, you know, Jesus. in the media. Unbelievable. <laughs> so 20 minutes after that, it, you know, roughly 20 minutes at 10.28, the other tower collapses.
Um, and then immediately after that happens, on the news wire services, they got a statement from the Taliban in Afghanistan saying that bin Laden denies involvement. Uh, and this is and <laughs> this got is a, because they got a press wire, they got it faxed in somehow. From, from, somehow this got like this is the from timeline the hills of, events. of Tora Bora. They're just like, yeah. what up? <laughs> this is the timeline of events. If you watch any TV broadcast unedited from that day of uh, 9/11, so this happens, and then um, you know the media didn't really take it seriously. You know, they were just like, he denies involvement or whatever. So 10:28, you know, around 10:30. Uh, the the other tower collapses, um, and no longer than an hour and a half after that. So this was like, you know, imagine only an hour and a half has passed over one of the towers after one of the towers mm-hmm. collapsed. Um, people are still trapped in the towers. Um, people are stuck in Manhattan. No people. Some people don't even know what's going on. People are wondering if their loved ones are dead or not. Um, they don't know if, they know if more things are going to be hit. You know, they more don't things know. are going to be hit. So this is a time still when the media, you know, should be should just be. covering things like uh, raw, like not, yeah. you know, just on like the call air, these numbers, live. yeah, like having these emergency numbers up, having press conferences with with officials in New York City trying to explain what's going on. Almost nothing like that was being done at the time. It was almost just immediately to this focus of, well, who did it? Mm-hmm. Bin Laden denies responsibility. Um, you know, the, the fact that the Taliban would even convey that message is strange. It's like, right? You know, it's it's bizarre. So at eleven fifty eight, yeah. Why would the t- wait? What <laughs> that alone is strange. It is. Why really would they? I guess. I guess. Like, did every terrorist organization around the world just simultaneously send a press wire and be like, no, we're we're not responsible for this one. I mean, effectively, that is, that's almost what happened. I mean, well, like, at that's least Arafat, yeah. Arafat said something after this happened. And what I'm going to go to next is something that I don't think is talked about enough in, in the 9-11 you know, conspiracy world. At 11.58, an hour and a half after the tower, last tower collapsed, CNN and MSNBC and Fox News all started airing footage that came from a Reuters camera crew of Palestinians dancing and celebrating in the streets. Videotape, I understand that we're going to show you uh, from the West Bank. These are Palestinian celebrations in the wake of... Jubilant Palestinians uh, that the United States had been subject to this attack. What are we to make of that, Jennifer? Um, are we to, uh, Yasser Arafat may issue this condemnation. Look at this. Well, some Palestinians were taking to the streets in apparent celebration. One youth was quoted as saying as he received a sweet, sweets handed around in celebration. This is a sweet from Osama bin Laden, he said. And apparently they were celebrating in response to 9-11. And I don't know, I can't verify that. It's not made clear from the video if that's what's going on. But can you imagine an hour and a half after this happened and you're in New York City and you're watching TV and you're trying to figure out if your wife is alive or not, you know, if she made it to work. You know, how are you going to get out of the city? Are my kids safe? And then all of a sudden they air footage. Um, we are at this emotional, heightened emotional state where you're you're mad as fuck. And you, like, want to get revenge on people. And they show you Palestinians dancing in the streets. And saying that, and showing this to you on TV. And saying that these this is in response to 9-11. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's truly shocking. And, and I didn't even remember this at all. I remember vaguely there being reports of, of something like that happening. Um, 
and I never really followed up on it, but as you just showed me, there's a clip of actually Howard Stern like doing a live broadcast when 9-11 was going on, and and he's talking about this this footage that's airing, and these callers are calling in, and they're saying, yeah, I'm watching it right now, all these pigs are dancing, and it was immediately like showing this footage, really pulling on the emotional uh, weakness of everyone who's watching this, wanting like some sort of revenge and being really angry, and showing Palestinians. Yeah. And it's just bizarre. It is the most bizarre... And even if you think that the media is controlled or whatever, like, and you think 9-11 was a accidental event, we couldn't stop it, it was like the work of terrorists, why would the, why would the media all, all think that's a responsible thing to do, to air that footage? And it wasn't just well, everybody one Everybody is so upset. Thing. Yeah. I can understand that it's newsworthy in a sense, but not newsworthy enough to broadcast in the middle of a national emergency. And also on all channels, broadcast this this clip of these people yeah. in Palestine. And also, yeah, during the national emergency, not after the fact. And also, who was on the ground filming this and feeding the footage to all of yeah. these newscasts simultaneously? I mean, it's that, a little bit strange. You no, know, it is. It's it's beyond strange because if you, I mean, think about the amount of people watching TV that day was probably in the hundreds of millions. I mean, it probably was like half of every American was glued to a television. Or more. I'm sure that. half of the people in the world who had TVs were glued yeah. to TV. So, like, I, I mean, I just want people to, out there to put it into con, into the context of the national emergency that that day was, and that that's what it felt like to people watching television. Yeah, and it's also I think you know to people listening who might say, "Oh, it's really obvious. We all know that the media lied to us. We all know that they were like selling war and all this stuff." We do to an extent, but really, and I think I do too. But really, like looking at those archives of Newsweeks and Time magazines, and and watching the Howard Stern broadcast from the day of, and seeing newscasts from the day of, you really don't remember because the propaganda was so sophisticated and so manipulative that it really entrenched so much so much of our subconscious in this nation that's still affecting us. It's still there with all of us. And you yeah, have absolutely. to dig at the root of this in order absolutely. to overcome it. And that's why it's so important. And this was a particular flavor of propaganda that that uh, is the the short name for it is agitprop. And it's it's short for agitation propaganda that's designed to make you angry. The dancing Palestinian footage is like one of the most extreme <laughs> examples of agitation and propaganda I have ever seen right. in my entire life. It's so bizarre. I mean, I wasn't alive during the civil rights era, so I'm sure there was stuff just as bad, you know, presenting black people in a certain light. But this takes the cake in my lifetime. I've never seen anything like that. And it's also ever. such a bizarre way to just clump in Palestinians with like, it, it, let's say hypothetically that, you know, um, Al-Qaeda terrorists attacked us in the, the, exactly the same way that the government outlines. Why is that still necessary or even reasonable in any sort of way to show Palestinians a totally different struggle? Someone mm -hmm. who we, with our tax dollars, have been paying an occupying state, an occupying force to brutally occupy them for, for decades. How does that have anything to do with this fight at all? It's almost just to be like, look, and this is why you should support Israel and, like, hate all Arabs. It's like, look, see, this is all, all the Arabs hate us mm -hmm. for no reason. We're not going to give you any context of why. We're just going to throw Arabs up on the TV and be like, look it, they all hate us. It's just, it's so childlike almost. It's, it's, it is. And that's, and that's, I mean, and it worked extremely well. 
And so I, I forgot to backtrack a little bit. So right before this happened, at 11.28 a.m. on BBC, this is before the footage of the Dancing Palestinians was aired on all the major media networks, um, Ehud Barak, ex-Israeli um, prime minister, mm-hmm. he was basically outlining... 11.28, so think about it, 11.28, an hour exactly after the, the last tower collapsed. He was already outlining that it was a bin Laden-type group, he said, that this is going to change the American security structure forever. Airline securities will be increased. He also used the phrase, a war against terror. America will launch a war against terror. One hour after the last tower collapsed. Right, joining me now here in the BBC World studio is the former Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Barak, uh, who's in London at the moment. Mr. Barak, welcome to BBC World. First, your reaction, having heard what's happened. At least four planes have been hijacked, and uh, there may be more. The world will not be the same from today on. It's an attack uh, against our whole civilization. I don't know who is responsible. I believe we will know in 12 hours. If it is a kind of bin Laden organization... Is it something that security services, intelligence services, could ever have got wind of? The question is what should be done in regard to it in order to avoid it in the future. It's going to be a tough struggle. There will be many tough and painful moments along the way. Any nation that is ready to host terror or support them. But in this area, we will suffer. It will not so, be so easy to to uh, go aboard an airplane in the, next, in the near future, isolate from the world every nation that is hosting them and calling every terror sag with the accurate name and be ready with all the pains that come with it to act upon our observations. But let me press this point about democracy and the price democracy may have to pay because you know very well that many passengers in the United States have long expected to be able to walk into an airport, get on a domestic aircraft unhindered within about 10 minutes of the plane taking off. They expect that as a free country. And it's, it's, it's a part of the problem that we have in a world which is so turbulent that we cannot, we will, and we, it's a time to launch a, a operational, concrete war against a, a, a terror, even if it takes certain pains from the routine activities so, of our normal society. I'm not saying that the Israeli Mossad was behind 9-11. What I am saying is that this dude knew a lot of shit, mm-hmm. way more than anybody could have possibly known. He's either prophetic and bordering on having psychic powers or he knew something that a lot of people knew and are keeping silent on well and as we have as it's been confirmed and over over and over again is that many people knew even if you do believe in the exact official narrative what of course the warnings aside if you believe in what happened on the day as it is told um, many, many people profited off it preemptively many people knew about it were told about it uh, put down barriers in order to ensure things went off in the way that they did. Um, and that's even believing the fact that this is who attacked us and, and how they did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so, I mean, this guy is just kind of articulating something that a lot of people knew and were planning for. In fact, Afghanistan war plans were already drafted, Iraq war all these different nations that we wanted to invade, the PNAC document was already outlined. I mean, these people already knew 
that they just needed that event. They say yeah. it, they say it over and over again, and that, and you know, they they don't hide it. I mean, <laughs> people who who are just obsessed with saying that the Jews run the world, the Jews run everything. It's like no, imperialism runs the world. That just Israel's a, a very strong, staunch ally with the the world hegemon. So it's like I just yeah, they just play a really, useful. They're a useful piece in yeah, the chess game. They're not controlling us. Why? Yeah. I mean, we're controlling everything, and and we have them under our sleeve, and they have us under our, their sleeves in a sense. But I mean, it's just absurd to say that. Jews run everything. Jews are determining everything, no. and that Jews did 9/11. It's absolutely insane. It's a complete red herring, and it's just ignorant. And it's also, I I I almost don't even believe like that that many people are anti-Semitic, but I do think a lot of people are anti-Semitic, and I think that it just breeds into this whole conspiracy culture. But again, when I'm reading like YouTube comments and stuff, I I also think I don't believe that this many people could really be. This way, and yeah. I almost feel like I know that there has to be some sort of. I mean, I don't, no, I don't no, know. No. This is my and we're going to get mind. to that. Okay. I have a. I, I have a. In the timeline that I made, at one point in it is when a different wave of nine eleven conspiracy stuff started okay, like flood into the truth movement. Sorry, keep keep going with your timeline. I, uh, you're just okay. talking about agit pops. Yeah, I'm almost done with the the day of timeline. So agit prop, agitation, propaganda, the dancing Palestinians just set people off. And the Howard Stern broadcast from the day of 9-11 is one of the best examples because you actually see them reacting during the timeline. Like, it's, you know, from event to event, you know, they almost cry when the first tower falls. Mm -hmm. And then when that dancing Palestinian footage airs, they are talking about nuking the Middle East, killing Palestinian children because they'll just keep making more terrorists and all just going off on these crazy... Um, you know what? Let's play a little bit of this clip for people to listen. Um, yeah. Because it's very shocking, and you really do have to hear some of this rhetoric. Yeah, and this is not... And let's just say, before we play it, that this is not this is not an isolated thing just because no. Howard Stern is, is vulgar or like he likes to act outlandish. This A lot of people that day had the same reaction. Yeah, you, you bet that people all over the place were having the same reaction sitting on their couch absolutely. watching TV. They're celebrating... Wreck their lives. Wreck their lives. For once, uh, allow us, whether you need Israel to do it or the United States to do it, I don't care which. You know, to me, that alone is a reason to bomb them. Allow us to bomb them. They're out in the streets. Throw a bomb on them right now. Bomb them now in the street. Howard, they have kids in the street, five years old, jumping up and down, celebrating. Five-year-olds. Those five-year-olds will grow up to attack our children. They're showing it right now. Kill them. Kill them for celebrating. Kill them. In their schools, at five years old, they're being indicted. Here they are. They're, they're, they're all celebrating in the streets. The Palestinians are celebrating in the streets, ladies and gentlemen. They're putting up the victory sign. Children are cheering. The parents have taught them well. Let them all live. Go ahead. Go ahead and more of us will die. I think you know what Bush needs to do. I mean, he needs to grow a set of you-know-what. We if he all know what needs to be done. If Bush doesn't do it, That's he's gone. We have to get oh, a new president. you got to get a new president. He hasn't said much, really, Bush, but wait for him to come on and say, I mean, they, this is... Look this at is, them celebrating in the street. this is this why is, I say you three. cannot yeah. negotiate they, with these people. They are so happy. They're so that insane. unbelievable. Today, drop the nuclear bomb on them. There's no reason for those people. Give them nuclear warfare. It's the only thing they understand. That's like, it. like mean, the bastard really children they are. 
This is terrible. I can't even believe my that. Name, but on behalf I think it's great you guys are still on the air, though. You know. Uh, I'm getting too worked up, and I'm starting to say stuff. I, I got, yeah, I really want to yeah. say nasty, awful things. I do, things. too. I know how this is getting me worked up. My I'm worked up. Right now. I'm so Somebody said up. to me earlier, uh, where do you think it's safer? I said, I don't care about safety at this point. They're right. bombing my country. Right. Revenge. That's it. Revenge is going to be sweet. They, 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 the thought uh, that these people are celebrating the death of others, please, please do something. This is horrible. I'm it's, sick of seeing it. And and uh, thing is to be Buddhist time. about it, I guess I would say that it's disgusting that the people, ha- everybody has that inside them somewhere. Because we are, just a more basic sense than a Freudian sense, we are animals, evolved animals. And we all have this desire to... I mean, it's inside all of us, this, like, you know, revenge and, and retribution and, you know, justice against being wronged and all this, all these feelings, you know, that root to, like, just survival instinct, almost. Think about how much better propaganda is now. I remember on one of our older shows, we were talking about even how much propaganda and advertising and media manipulation has increased exponentially just over the last decade. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I mean... Uh, I'm sorry, since the 80s, we were talking about how old school, like, advertising is, and now it's so much more insidious and preys upon your, your, you know, your most secret vulnerabilities and and self-conscious things that you have about yourself and just, like, things that you, the other, and the fear of the other and the dehumanization of, like, other people and and what separates us from from other people, and they know that so well, and and that's why this has worked so well, And, and the sophistication, we've never seen it... I mean, in, in more operating form than we did after 9-11, and it still continues to this day. It, it meant a huge shift in the way that... I mean, the Gulf War is the only other thing I can really compare it to, the way that the Gulf War was portrayed by CNN. I also, or it was nonstop. I, yeah. 9-11 was just like the perfect event for that format. You know? Right. So right after the Dancing Palestinians were shown, Reuters, the same source of the video of the Dancing Palestinians... Um, reported that that an Arab reporter named Abdel Bari Atwan said that he had interviewed Bin Laden three weeks prior to 9/11, and he said, "Be prepared for unprecedented attack against America for supporting Israel." So that, like, immediately, you know, immediately following the dancing Palestinian footage, it's like, okay, well, Bin Laden's obviously responsible. You know, he was just. Bullshitting who, wait, before who, or something. Did the guy like come like notify the news, or did someone just get a hold of his article at that point and they were like, "Good question." Oh, yeah, I don't even think the interview was was um, published yet. Yeah, yeah, I was just which say, is also strange. I, I mean, I don't think it was published at the time of nine eleven. I have to find out about that as well. That's a little mysterious. So later in the day, there was candlelight vigils held in Tehran, um, parts of Egypt, Pakistan. Um, and India with mostly Muslim people. I'm not but Robbie, the Palestinians were dancing. <laughs> yeah. So that's why we need to nuke the Middle East. Don't you understand? I, I don't remember seeing any footage of people in Tehran like putting out candles for victims of no. 9-11. No. So, so, so that's the day. I think, another, I think another point as well about that day that goes along with the criminal negligence aspect of it is that we know that there were hundreds of warnings. I mean, aside from the hundreds of oh, warnings, yeah. the PDB memo wasn't even isolated. I mean, it's come out now, even this year, someone who um, worked in the government, they were saying that the, the PDB memo was the tip of the iceberg. I mean, that there were yeah. warnings so intricately, so detailed going back years and years. I mean, the light was literally blinking red and their words, not mine. But aside from that, 
taking all of this into account, when the first tower was hit, they knew that the, they knew. it was the attack. So to, to not evacuate the second tower, let alone the Pentagon, I mean, to not evacuate the second tower immediately, and the White House, and the Pentagon, and everything, is criminal is criminally negligent because they knew yeah, right no, then right. that it was an attack. And so to just act like it was an errant plane is completely ludicrous and insane and criminal. Yeah, there's That's a lot of say. different <laughs> levels to it. I mean, one could say it was because well, they were tied up with so many of these like disaster scenario game like even like Rudy Giuliani was doing like Tripod 2 or whatever the fuck <laughs> it was called where it was like some bio attack drill on the day of 9-11 and he would have probably been the one responsible for issuing an evacuation of the of the World Trade Center so yeah there's there, you're right I mean immediately when the first plane hit okay it's the Bin Laden attack let's right. evacuate the Pentagon the White House the Capitol building right. da, 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 everything nope not done at all and and when Cynthia McKinney confronted Donald Rumsfeld, who had also changed, and I, I haven't actually confirmed this. I don't know if this is true that he actually changed the order to make himself be the one to shoot it down. That's questionable. I haven't verified that, but that is like what's speculated. And also, she confronts him on the floor of the Senate, and she's like, "Did all of these war games that were happening on the day of 9/11 inhibit your ability, NORAD's ability to react?" Um, to shoot down the planes to, to prevent this from happening. And he said he said it actually um, helped their ability. Yeah, and he didn't even answer that. It was like he just like deferred it to his like the general. It was like general. it was like General Myers or something. He was just yeah. like, oh yeah, it actually helped our ability to like shoot down the planes. You're like, what? How did and it if help you your ability the- to have all these people spread out all over the country, not in their command posts? He so does good. this like weird smirk, almost yeah, like he yeah. has so much hubris and. And power that he's just like, oh, haha. Ha. He has this like amused look on his face. Let's see how good of a swing she takes at us. Oh, yeah, I know what the guy said. He's like, it enhanced our ability. Oh, really? Yeah. Enhanced your ability. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. And I mean, maybe we should take a little break here and, and uh, okay. warm, warm people up we'll for the next segment. We'll take a little segment. break for the next segment, but that's pretty much. I, I love how we pretty much just said everything that we already said about 9 11 on a previous broadcast. Not really. But there's yeah, just I mean, so much more to say. Yeah, this this we're gonna go into this on the next segment about all the the things that happened after 9/11 and what led to all the changes that we've seen today about like airline security and all that stuff. So don't leave. So this timeline is going to be over a much longer span of time than our first segment, which was just all about the day of 9-11. And we're going to make a special focus. We're going to have a special focus on this timeline again at agitation propaganda. The, the specific key elements of the propaganda that we were fed that, that led to fundamental changes in our country. 
and things that the American public basically allowed to happen by not protesting against. Um, so on September 14th, 2001, the authorization to use force was passed by Congress um, to, to go into Al uh, Afghanistan. Both Ron Paul and Dennis Kucinich voted for it. Um, you asked Dennis Kucinich about that. He had a strange excuse that I don't really know if I believe. <laughs> uh, Barbara Lee was a congresswoman who voted against it. She was the sole no vote. Nobody right. in the Senate voted against it, but one person in the Congress voted against it, and it was Barbara Lee. Obama. Think about that for a second. Think about that in itself. Just one person against a country that was Three really days. just Three harboring. Three days after 9-11. Supposedly harboring bin Laden, which wasn't even true, as we found. So really, and I mean, was it because that they were told that the Al-Qaeda was being, like, harbored there? Because I didn't even really understand if, how that was true at all. Because remember when the BBC did that report, Power of Nightmares, and they were just like, there's no Al-Qaeda here. It's just, like, goat herders. Like, what was the intelligence that, that provided within three days that really convinced everyone that he was there and that Al-Qaeda was being harbored there? Well, the strange thing that I, I've tried to follow this back to the roots of this a little bit, and it seems like the Taliban made it publicly known that, that bin Laden was being taken care of in their country. And the, one of the weird things, though, about Ron Paul's yes vote on that is that uh, a guy who was 16-year aide to Ron Paul says that he was actually opposed to the war in Afghanistan and, and to any military reaction to the attacks of 9-11, but ultimately voted yay in the face of a threatened staff rebellion and near certain political suicide. Whoa. This is, but Whoa. then it even gets weirder, which is not a surprise at all, because this is how I was introduced to Ron Paul. He questioned 9-11. Mm -hmm. He's backpedaled on that since. The guy, his aide says, and I don't know if this aide has any reason to mm -hmm. smear Ron Paul. He might, but it's just interesting that I, this rings true to me, is that the aide also said following September 11th, Paul, quote, engaged in conspiracy theories, including perhaps that the attacks were coordinated with the CIA and that the Bush administration might have known about the attacks ahead of time. He expressed no sympathies whatsoever for those who died on 9-11 and pretty much forbade staffers. I'm sorry, that's engaging. just really ridiculous. He is trying to smear Ron Paul, but I believe that, that he, Ron Paul thought that. I do. Where are you like, reading this from? Um, forgot where I got this from, but this is like when his one of his aides came out and tried to smear yeah. him. Well, I don't, I mean... I mean, first of all, that's pretty. That's a pretty logical thing to say. Um, question whether or not the Bush administration knew. That's not a conspiracy theory. So that so that was kind of interesting. So on the fourteenth is when the authorization was voted on. So that basically gave him the Bush administration carte blanche to wage start waging wars because it was not specific at the time what it was for. Dennis Kucinich claims that the actual authorization used forces for Al Qaeda training camps in Afghanistan. I don't know that for sure. I'd have to look at look at the actual text, and we could link to it on the timeline. So, on September 14th through the 22nd is when the Bin Laden family was flown out of the United States um, on specially chartered aircrafts arranged uh, by Richard Clark. Now, this, there's a little bit of um, disinformation about that. A lot of people claim that it was when the flights were being grounded, which is actually not true. And we forgot to mention this earlier, but also there was a there was something trying to debunk the Palestinians celebrating footage by saying that it was a that it was video footage from the 90s that they had aired to like trick the American public, 
which turns out not to be true. It was It was video footage filmed on that day. So the only reason I bring that up in relationship to this is that these like disinformation theories, they actually take away the focus and, and take away the scrutiny that should be there for other reasons, such as if these Palestinians were really celebrating, why is that newsworthy to air an hour after the, you know, we're still in the midst of one of the biggest national emergencies ever. Right, exactly. Perfect States. example of this. Why are we focusing on whether or not bin Laden was an actor in the, f- quote, fake bin Laden confession tape when really what we should be focusing on is the fact that it was a sting operation done by yes. the CIA, the confession tape to coerce a false confession, and how did the CIA have access to him, interview him, and then let him go for the next decade? So you could argue that from the very beginning, there was counter-propaganda being thrown into the mix mm-hmm. to try to take Absolutely. the focus away from things that should have been more scrutinized at the time. The dancing Palestinian footage, the Bin Laden confession tape, which we'll get to in a little bit. And, and, and then, just as a little precursor for people who don't know this already, Operation Mockingbird was a CIA <clears throat> operation to infiltrate the media in the Cold War, in the early stages of the Cold War, to infiltrate literally every single major news publication put actual operatives to influence news, make up fake stories entirely at, at some points. And a lot of those people were never ousted, and a lot of those people continued to go on and influence these publications, which is which could lend, uh, in part at least, a reason why they, they serve as more parroters. And, I mean, you can look at media consolidation, of course, as another way, but really... This goes back decades in terms of government infiltration of these organizations to use yeah. them as an apparatus for the state to spread propaganda and misinformation. Yeah, and you could even see you know, some connection between the idea of Operation Mockingbird and, and the idea of just a reporter having this conditioned self-censorship. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. It's not that all these reporters are directly peddling propaganda and they know it's lies. It's that they are trained to have faith in the system and also they know what not to report on mm-hmm. from just the, what they perceive Absolutely. and what other people do. So, yeah, the Bin Laden family was flown out under the protection of the U.S. government from the 14th to the 22nd. And you know what's funny is that even though that's like common knowledge, it seems like people realize that the Bin Laden family was flown out because of Michael Moore's documentary and stuff. Isn't that weird that we never really talk about that still? It's like, yeah. why are we friends with the Bin Laden family still? I mean, well, are yeah. we still? Like, is the government talking to the Bin Laden family? Well, they like, claim he was the black sheep of the family. But that they were but, still really close, like, oil tycoons with the rest of the Bin Ladens? More contradictory information. The U.S. government says that he's the black sheep of the family, and so do a lot of U.S. media outlets after 9-11. But then if you go back, there's stories that existed before 9-11 that, he, that say that he wasn't, and that people in the family were still giving him money and all this stuff. He, like, attended a wedding in, like, August, you know, of, like, a family member. And he was also, I mean, for those who also don't know, he, we've been using bin Laden as a CIA operative to train um, forces against the Soviets in Afghanistan in the early 80s. I mean, he was an asset, essentially, going back decades as well. So whether you can argue whether or not he turned against us or, or whatnot, but you cannot argue the fact that bin Laden was used as an asset. There's even a, a amazing newspaper article that we'll also link to, a picture of him, it's like 1990 or something, and it says the the leader to peace. This you know anti-Soviet leader brings troops to peace in the Middle East. Yeah, and it's a giant. He was photo the of face of the Mujahideen. We should have given him the Nobel Peace Prize at the time. Yeah, <laughs> that would have been really so, yeah. funny. So yeah, Michael Moore talked about that in Fahrenheit 9/11. That was one of like the biggest revelations he dropped yeah. in in that movie, and 
in response to that, Richard Clark came out and revealed that, oh, this isn't questionable because guess what? I was the one who did it. And this happened years later when... What do you mean, I was the one who did it? I was the one who ordered it. So it's okay, guys. It wasn't the Bush administration who did it. It was me. What? Because he was already... Because we're going <laughs> to... The context of that is he was considered almost like an anti-Bush hero at the time that he came out and said that. And then he took the fall for the intelligence failures and it was like, I'm... Yeah, and that happened way before he made he said that. Well, why did yeah. he say he did that? I mean, that's ridiculous. Just to take um, the Because there was no Bush. connection to them. I don't really know if he's explained it very much. We should find that out. I so mean, it's another kind of him taking the fall for, like, bad yes. PR that was coming out. Yeah. Like, oh, that exactly. was me too. Exactly. Absolutely. Good for him. So only seven days after 9-11, the, anthrax, the first string of the anthrax letters were sent. They were postmarked on September 18th. Think about how little time that was after this horrendous horrifying traumatic event everyone in the world is watching and then you start hearing about biological warfare on top of this psyop that we just all experienced biological warfare in the form of anthrax potentially Mm -hmm. being mailed to everyone this is a funny quote i found um i forgot what news agency released this but fbi director robert Mueller came out and said that White House officials repeatedly pressured him to prove that the anthrax attacks were a second wave assault by al-Qaeda following the September 11th attacks. During the president's morning intelligence briefings, Mueller was, quote, beaten up for not knowing, for not producing proof that the killer spores were the handiwork of terrorists, mastermind Osama bin Laden. Yeah, how dare he not invent (laughs) evidence that doesn't exist? How dare he not just put together something that doesn't exist out of thin air and make it up? Yep. What an idiot. So we're going to get back to anthrax in a second, but so September 22nd, 11 days after 9-11, Taliban is interviewed live on television and is asked, will you hand over Osama bin Laden? And they say that without evidence, no, they will not. But with evidence, they will, they will try Osama bin Laden. But what most Americans were conveyed from that press conference, most people didn't actually see that press conference position in this uh, regard is uh, that if America have uh, evidence and proofs, they should produce it and we are ready for the trial of Osama uh, bin Laden in the light of evidence. Are you willing to hand Osama bin Laden to the United States or no? No, no, no. no. With, without evidence, no. The, the interesting thing about that is that wasn't the story that I remember hearing on the media. It was that they refused to hand over mm-hmm, Osama bin Laden. Mm-hmm. The Taliban refuses to hand over Osama bin Laden after we voted on the authorization to use force to get him, <laughs> basically. Whoops. right? So, because, because if the headline was, Taliban refuses to hand over Osama bin Laden without evidence... Then it might get people thinking, oh, well, oh, maybe, course. you know, well, yeah, let's give them some evidence. It's obvious they should come up with something. Instead, they did not provide any evidence. That was right. a non-negotiable for the Bush administration. And apparently for the American people and, and the press, because the press, again, spread agitation propaganda by saying that the Taliban refused to hand over bin Laden, which is not accurate. Mm-hmm. So then on October 7th, 2001... The Afghanistan invasion is launched. First stages of it. The first bombings. Um, Eight days later, on October 15th, Tom Daschle, who at the time was the Senate Majority Leader, got an anthrax letter. 
and this infected over 30 different staffers in the, in the office. But he, do you remember this, where he was testifying saying that Bush and Cheney had asked him multiple times over and over again to not investigate 9-11? And all these people are like, wait, how many times did he ask you to not investigate? And they're like, what happened? And he was just like, yes, I'm, because he said it would obstruct with other intelligence findings because we were already like embroiled in another in, in a impending war on terror and stuff. And he was like, so he repeatedly asked me to please not investigate the issue. I mean, it's just an amazing wow. clip. I mean, I can wow. even send you... Yeah, let's, well, let's, let's play some of that right now. Let's play some of it right now. Yeah. So, you told us earlier this year that Vice President Cheney called you and asked you not to hold wide-ranging hearings and to limit the investigation to the Intelligence Committee. Looking back, do you, why do you think he made that call? Do you think that he knew that the White House did know something and they were trying to keep the investigation limited because they didn't want to look culpable at all? Well, I'm not going to come to any conclusions. It is true that the Vice President has requested on several occasions that we not have an investigation into this issue. Uh, were that briefing to be shared, we'd have the, the complete story and, the, and, and a much better understanding than we have right now of what exactly the briefing entailed and what the president knew. Do you have a different response now to Vice President's suggestion that you not proceed with investigations? Well, as I told him some time ago, we would limit the investigation initially to the intelligence committees, and that's what's going on as we speak. Mr. Dash, do you think the flying public was adequately protected uh, in light of uh, apparent information that there were uh, there was a potential hijacking? Well, then I'm concerned about whether or not the public was adequately protected and whether or not there was uh, adequate information provided to the public regarding these circumstances and Congress obtaining it. How many times did the Vice President ask you not to investigate this and have others at the White House also asked that there be no investigation? Oh, I'm not sure. It was it's, there were numerous times. I can't recall exactly how many. What were his reasons? His reasons were that uh, the intelligence community was so involved in the aftermath of 9/11 that they didn't want to take people off of what it was they were doing. He asked you more than once. Correct. And it, it wasn't more than twice. <laughs> Bob, it was three and a half times. <laughs> Yeah. And it was no I don't, investigation I don't. whatsoever. He wasn't asking for it to keep it to keep it uh, closed, to keep it to intelligence. He wanted no investigation. That's correct. And didn't the president also, I remember him following up with you at a breakfast and, and reiterating what the vice president called you about. That's correct. So the president himself asked you. That's right. Were you misled or were you lied to? I'm not going to make any uh, make any uh, definitive judgment on that. I think it is important for us to get all the information. There may be an explanation. If there is, we need to have it. I'm ready to, to listen to any plausible explanation as to how we can reconcile what was our understanding with what now is being reported. So, so in the public statements, you've just been going over these transcripts, was the White House misleading the public by saying it had no prior information? And I also just want you to clarify Cheney's statement, no investigation whatsoever, not merely a private investigation. I, I had thought earlier that he wanted to keep make sure this was kept, you know, a private intelligence committee investigation. Well, the, uh, the impression that the vice president left with me is that he would prefer no investigation. Uh, and then when we pursued the matter, I told him that uh, we, we had no choice but to move forward yeah, with it's, the It's pretty weird how much of a role Tam, Tom Daschle seems to have played in this. Like, he was sent anthrax. And even if you think Bruce Ivins did it or not, um, it was very convenient timing because immediately after he was sent anthrax, they tried to get the USA Patriot Act passed. 
So the the timeline of events after that was he got sent anthrax. I think at the same time the letters came to Feingold and who was the other guy? Leahy, right? So they got letters as well. Um, and eventually Russ Feingold was the only one who voted against it in the Senate. Paul and Kucinich actually voted against it in the House. But that's it. That's literally it. And I mean, we know so much about the Patriot Act now, the fact that it was actually a different bill than the one that was pushed through. So not only did they get only like six hours to read like a 300-page bill full of just completely evisceration of our civil liberties, but on top of that, they switched the bill out at the very last minute and they all actually voted on something that they didn't even know at all. Um, Mm -hmm. They all almost unanimously voted for it completely insane. I mean, it, it was actually like overnight too. It was like an overnight session. I mean, everything against, you know, a democratic process that you can possibly imagine. Well, here's, yeah, absolutely. So on the 17th, two days after the letters come, they actually have um, quarantined parts of the building, the house building and shut it down for almost an entire week until the next Tuesday. And on the 18th of October is when John McCain went on the David Letterman show and suggested that the anthrax attacks came from Saddam Hussein. How are things going in Afghanistan now? I think we're doing fine. I think we'll do fine. The second phase, if I could just make it very quickly, the second phase is Iraq. Uh, there is some indication, and I don't have the conclusions, but some of this anthrax may, and I emphasize may, have come from, come from Iraq. Oh, is that right? If that may be the case, then that, that's when some tough decisions are going to have to be made. This is October 18th, like... A month after 9-11. A little more after. Oh, so, the, so this was really, really close to 9-11. Yeah. The discussion about Saddam. And at the same time... Wow. The Guardian in the UK, ABC News, were reporting the same thing, more or less. And it all came from anonymous government officials mm-hmm. who will never be named. Right. At all. So then, when the Senate building gets back... When the Senate gets back into session, I believe that it's on October 24th. So almost a whole... Exactly a whole week passed since they shut it down. The USA Patriot Act passes in the House. Paul and Kucinich vote no. Next day, it passes in the Senate. Russ Feingold votes no. And when we say he vote, they vote no, those are literally the only people that right. voted no. And then on the 26th is when it was signed into law by Bush. One thing leads to another. 9-11 led to the war in Afghanistan. That's the direct connection there. Um, anthrax leads to the Patriot Act, but it leads to even more things. As and, we'll and I just wanted to say, for timeline. people, really, you really should use the timeline here because um, we've done reports on the anthrax investigation very thoroughly. Robbie and I both did a, an hour-long radio show, and we did a follow-up investigation on RT, kind of just breaking down very well what happened and how the official narrative, of course, is, is absolutely impossible. Um, and also on top of that, I've done a report on the Patriot Act, which I'll link to right now, just kind of explaining what's wrong with it. Yeah, and I mean, just to quickly, you know, elucidate the point that the Patriot Act is really damaging and caused a major shift in this country is that it basically stripped us of our right to privacy in a major way. I think it also outlined the the idea of an enemy combatant, terrorist. So it greased the skids for Gitmo. Um, It greased the skids for torture. No Geneva Conventions or, you know, no human rights conventions in general being applied to supposed terrorists that were caught. Um, Sneak and peek searches. 
uh, surveillance without a warrant, if they suspect you of being a terrorist, whatever the fuck that's supposed to mean. Right. You know, that is a blank check, absolute blank check for right. them to do whatever they want right. and use terrorism as a shield for it. While we're doing the war in Afghanistan, after the Patriot Act is passed, a lot of people are outraged by it, but not enough. I mean, it's still passed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and so, unfortunately, you've said it perfectly yourself. You said the surveillance state, you know, it's now so closely entwined with our government that, of course, they're not going to not renew these bills that, that, that the surveillance state profits so immensely from. And the military-industrial complex, all these corporations profit immensely from the spying state, the big brother surveillance grid. So, of course, they're not going to scale back no. these tools that they've authorized for the last decade. No, because the, what they've done is they've, they've like thrown out all their old technology and replaced yeah. it with new, more sophisticated technology that has this more sophisticated software more sophisticated digital cameras. I mean, they have all these toys, and then they can't play with them. A month after that, this is another, what I believe to be agitation propaganda that started and planted the seeds for anyone could be a terrorist. The idea that your neighbor could be one. Because John Walker Lind was a Californian, like, relatively upper-class dude who apparently converted to Wahhabist uh, Muslim beliefs and and moved to Afghanistan and trained in an al-Qaeda training camp or something like that or mm -hmm. like a Taliban training camp because at this point they were already trying to conflate al-Qaeda with the Taliban mm -hmm. the American government was saying he was a Taliban soldier but then they also said that he said he was fighting on behalf of al-Qaeda right they said and I remember seeing him like on television like there was news cameras there showing him being like arrested like where he was all dirty and he was mm -hmm, dressed like mm -hmm. a muslim do you remember seeing Absolutely. the video of that just a small personal story is that i was watching this footage around the same time i was having my own sort of psychotic episode that was completely unrelated to mm -hmm. what was going on with 9-11 and like when i was watching the footage i was like a hundred percent of the belief that it was just like a movie set, like something straight out of like Wacky Dog. Dog. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh my god, this you is know, just like seem, a guy. It did seem really weird at the time. I mean, even if it's not faked, it seems like a very staged news event. Like, okay, whisk him out of the building now. Throw some dirt on him. And it was you know? just weird that like this one American, like all of a sudden, oh, yeah. just randomly popped up from a Alcatraz train camp. It was very yeah. strange. Well, it was very strange, and, and when, where did that lead? It didn't yeah, lead there where, immediately, yeah. but it led to the idea that anyone right. could be a terrorist. Any, even a white guy who's rich, you know? Yep, who goes to a middle-class, you know, grows up in yeah. a middle-class family. And you know what, at the time... Bush called him a Marin County hot tubber. Excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> That's a literal quote from I George I have no w. idea Bush. what you just said. <laughs> I'm so confused. What a fucking asshole. Yeah, and then also the Homegrown Terrorism and Radicalization Act didn't pass, but that one was also kind of more of that propaganda of how white people can be terrorists and clumping and starting to clump in the animal rights people and, like, you know, bloggers and people mm -hmm. who are questioning 9-11, and I remember that yeah. was actually Jane Harmon in the testimony, on, and Congress was saying people who are questioning 9-11 are, are mm -hmm. lumped in with homegrown radical extremists, and you're like, whoa, did you just clump us in with, like, jihadists and... You know, pedophiles and stuff on yep, the internet. It was did. like really strange. Yep, we did. <laughs> we did do that. <laughs> so only five. Uh, I don't know exactly when the video was discovered or what the exact date it was aired on, but sometime in December of two thousand and one, 
they find that supposed Bin Laden confession tape in a in a shack in Afghanistan. On the tape, no actual confession is made, but it's still a mistranslation. So they're like trying to like the the translation was revealed by Der Spiegel, a German outlet, as being a mistranslation to make it seem like he may have been behind the attacks by making him seem like he was celebrating it and all this stuff. But even with the mistranslation that was shown to us, there is he doesn't confess to the attacks in it. Right. He's just like saying that it was a miracle and mm-hmm. it's like you know it's a miracle like that. that the buildings exploded. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it is a yeah basically. It's crazy. It is. Yeah. it is a miracle. It really it, is. He's, he's right. Yes. He uh, and and then there's another layer to that story, which we got into in a different episode. I think our other 9 11 episode mm-hmm. we get into more, but it has been shown by the Guardian, I believe, reporter on yep. this, that the CIA actually did an operation where they lured bin Laden into this interview to get him to confess. It was like a, a setup to get him to yeah. confess. And yet he still not confess, which is hilarious because if they did this and knew where he was going, why didn't they just take him out? Yeah, why did we occupy Afghanistan the first place. for the next yeah. 10 years? Right? Yep. So that's hilarious. I mean, even if you're not a 9-11 truther, that in and of itself should make you question the complete bullshit reasons why I went after to Afghanistan. Right. And just to clarify the Military Commissions Act, I just looked it up. It did get passed. It was in... Uh, it was in um, place for two years, and then in a Supreme Court case called Boumediene v. Bush, um, held that the Military Commissions Act was actually unconstitutional because of its restrictions on detainee rights, determined that detainees had the right to petition federal courts for habeas corpus challenges. So that got thrown out the window, of course, which is interesting, which it makes me really do think, really, really do think, really think that the NDA case will be taken to the Supreme Court and hopefully they can rule on the right side of history on that one because if they ruled on this for detainees' rights, then it seems absurd that we would have our rights stripped as well on top of that. <laughs> so anyway, Doesn't just it? to clarify that. Richard Reed tries to set off explosives in his tennis shoes aboard an American Airlines flight from Paris to Miami. But flight attendants and Reed's fellow passengers subdued. Right before Christmas, the uh, shoe bomber happened. Yeah. Shoe bombing, I should say. When it wasn't really a bombing, it was like dud. The guy like lit, trying to light the bomb on his shoe with a match in the plane. <laughs> Richard Reed, um, who was a British citizen um, who apparently knew Masawi, the infamous 20th hijacker. Oh, did he? Yeah, Masawi How do we know that is, through the 187th waterboarding of Masawi? I have no idea. I mean, oh, that's not who, who knows if he was waterboarding? Yeah, he was wearing like a shock belt in court or something. But they claim that they claim that Musawi is said to authorities that him and Reed were going to be the people that were going to fly the plane into the White House on 9/11. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, right. So they're trying to connect this. So now it's not just anthrax and. Planes being flown into buildings. It's a dude on a plane with a bomb in his shoe. Two right. months, you know, three months after 9-11. Richard Reed. So this immediately led to um, increased... Uh, the, the TSA, the Transportation Security Administration, I think, was already created at this point, And they were already starting to scrutinize airline passengers more with more security. But then this allowed the idea that, you know, it's okay to take your shoes off now before you get on an airplane. A very small incremental change, yeah, one extra small. step. Yeah. Very inconvenient for everyone. 
Mm-hmm. Um, before we move on, though, Robbie, I, f- I remember something else that's very bizarre that I feel like has to be said. Yeah. Nick yeah. Berg, the guy who got one of the, you know, at the time that all these beheadings were going on in Iraq, of course, oh, at yeah, the time yeah, of your yeah. beheading hooks, Nick Berg was beheaded. I remember hearing at the time that Nick Berg, as he was a contractor in Iraq, um, while he was in the U.S., before he went to Iraq, he had shared his laptop with none other than Zacharias Mosawi. Yeah. Aside from all the things that happened subsequently because of 9-11, aside from all the things that, that they fucked up on, these things actually don't make sense. And I'm, I'm reading CNN. This is yeah. CNN.com. Oh, no, it's, it's totally and this is real. Nick yeah. Berg's encounter with the terrorists. This was, you know, years before yeah. you had it. It's like, I, I just don't, I just, I can't explain it. And it doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> and like, um, I think only a couple of weeks after the shoe bomber happened, Gitmo was opened to be used as a special military facility for combatants, enemy combatants in the Afghanistan war. Mm-hmm. The most dangerous enemy combatants or whatever. Um, only a month after that happens. Uh, it's already 2002 now. Cause we're in yeah. January, just so people can keep track. And the Gitmo is opened, a gulag that has no, that is not a prisoner of war prison that follows the um, Geneva Conventions, only is able to exist because of the emotional trauma that we that we experience, and our and the hatred towards mm-hmm. Arabs and and Muslims. And how much of a fuck you is it to just have it in Cuba too? Yeah. <laughs> like I always thought that that was funny. Well, that and and that and that's part of it too is that they did it there because it's not under U.S. law. Also, yeah, it's under like a it's under a legal. Um, it's like in, it's, it's almost like, like international area. waters. It's like not yeah. under any law, really. Right. And that's why weird shady shit has ha- happened there from before. I mean, the movie A Few Good Men is about the weird shady shit that ha- went down there. Um. So in February 1st, 2002, Daniel Pearl is beheaded. And the world sees, most people were only able to see it over the internet or just heard about it secondhand. You know, the, I don't think most of the media showed this video, but, you know, you could find it online if you wanted to, the, the like first jihadi video mm-hmm. where it shows his head um, cut off. Yeah. And like there's all this like scary like Muslim religious music playing. And this just totally played into, like, the Jews versus Muslims, like, paradigm. Another form of agitation propaganda. Barbaric Muslims. Yes. So right now we're having, like, almost, like, monthly episodes of, look at how evil these people are. Shoe bomber, anthrax, beheadings, you know. Just boom, 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 one thing after another. So a while passes before more key propaganda comes through. And... And so on September 8th of 2002, um, a while after that, after the summer, on September 8th, 2002 is when Condoleezza Rice made the, uh, the statement that we don't want to wait for the smoking gun to come in the form of a mushroom right. cloud. And there was already whispers about Iraq, you know, it went all the way back to McCain on the David Letterman show. Wesley Clark has come out later and said that on the day of 9-11, they were told them they were going to invade Iraq. Like, that was, like, one of the seven countries. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll put that video in there, too. And we had, instead, a policy coup in this country. A coup. A policy coup. Some hard-nosed people took over the direction of American policy, and they never bothered to inform the rest of us. 
I went downstairs. I was leaving the Pentagon, and an officer from the Joint Staff called me into his office and said, I, I want you to know, he said, sir, we're going to attack Iraq. And I said, why? He said, we don't know. He said, uh, I said, well, did they tie Saddam to 9-11? He said, uh, no. He said, but um, I guess it's, they don't know what to do. About I mean, terrorism. less than a year after 9-11, the administration, the White House, is trying to ramp us up into being afraid of nuclear war. Like, after we've gone through all this trauma, now they're trying to get us afraid of being nuked on top of all this other shit that we've been put through. I mean, I can't even remember a time in my lifetime, even when I was a kid during the Cold War, where it was, the nuclear fear was this heightened, where they acted like it was actual possibility. Do you? No. <laughs> so, so there you go. They're trying to drum up this agitation propaganda again to get you to hate Saddam Hussein. Because he's going to nuke you. They're not normally connected to it, but the emotions generated by them connect together into this big ball of fucking post-traumatic stress disorder. <laughs> right after that shift to, to Iraq, in October 2002, um, the D.C. snipers had killed their 10th victim. Oh, my God. I tenth victim. In the autumn of 2002... A ruthless killer stalked the suburbs of Washington, D.C. He only needed a split second and he could take them out. People were murdered at random. White people, black people, young, old, children. They were finally caught. And the media had reported on th at the time that they were doing in the name of Islam. They were Muslims. I don't know what, I don't know what their country of origin was, but it was another attempt by the media to ramp up terrorism fear levels. But this time it was less... It wasn't like this is Al-Qaeda or this is the Taliban or anything. It was more just like that homegrown terrorism, you know? Look at what's happening, you know? Like, there's these people live among us. You know, there's D.C., you know, Washington, D.C. Yeah. yeah. Again, it was in D.C., huh? Yep. Wow. Sniper. I mean, wow. first it's, it's planes That's being crashed crazy. into buildings, buildings collapsing, biological weapons, right. anthrax, shoe bombs... Um, beheadings, and now it's snipe. You could be snipered, right. you know, like some guy could take you out from fucking, you know, five hundred feet away with a rifle. Right. You know, yeah, at any yeah, time you could be yeah. fucking shot in the head for no reason. Like their victims were totally random. Right. So not too long after that, this is something that we barely heard about in the United States. About three months after the DC sniper, um, the DC snipers were arrested on January fifth, two thousand and three. The wood green ricin plot happened in the UK. What does that and mean? That is the equivalent of our anthrax scare. They made this big media circus out of the fact that somebody that somebody apparently defected from this terrorist cell in the UK to to rat them out. That all these people, up to twenty sleeper agents, like terrorists in the UK, were going to um, try to kill members of Parliament with ricin. What is ricin? Ricin is a is I don't know if it's a would be considered a biological weapon, but it's like a really potent poison. It's what Walt uh, uses Walter oh, uses right, in Breaking right, right. Bad to right. um, try to kill Gus. Right. And, and, and and that was like their equivalent of the anthrax scare. So this is like the first time when you, the UK was exposed to terror, and they wouldn't be exposed to it again until the um, 2005. Uh, Seven seven two bombings, which also very interesting how it's just like oh, yeah. the same kind of yeah. 
emergency management stuff there. And what's interesting about the wood green rice and plot is that you tend to think, you know, we're looking at things from the in the fishbowl of the United States. We don't see, you know, BBC's what the, how they're you know portraying this incident over there or anything like that. Colin Powell, right after this, I mean, like right after, um, a month after it, he fucking used this to tie together the anthrax attacks with the possibility that Saddam could be behind it all. Not only the anthrax, but also the ricin. So, and, he, and when he went to the UN, he knew very well that the, that the UK was going to be behind them all the way on right. this. Right. So, like, if you watch his whole speech, he mentions the wood green ricin plot, along with holding up the anthrax. And that happened on February 5th, exactly a month after the wood green ricin plot. And then it was found out later that the man who rat, apparently ratted out this sleeper cell was tortured for his information. Oh, wow. Yeah, big surprise there, right? So, side note, side note, it is interesting that Michael Moore is, like, glorifying, not glorifying, but he's, like, defending adamantly Zero Dark 30. Dark 30. Yeah. And saying that it's it doesn't weird. glorify torture, but I don't think he realizes that just, it's not that it's glorifying torture, but it's showing that torture works, and mm-hmm. that's completely, that is glorifying in the sense, because you're saying that it's, like, good for something, and it really isn't. Yeah, Michael Moore... I don't know what's up with him. I mean, I was going to include some stuff about Fahrenheit 911 and, and him in here, but I didn't even bother because it's yeah. he's and just this, too lightweight. I mean, there's some good elements of Fahrenheit 911, but he's he's way less liberal and anti-war than he used to be when he started doing stuff. Yeah, and big uh, time. And just to let people know, really, the extent of of the waterboarding, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, which was one of the other big names that has come out saying you know, intelligence, high-level intelligence. He was waterboarded 183 times in one month. Just yeah. throwing that out there. It's interesting because we'll, we'll talk about him a little later in the, in, in the paradigm of the boogeyman, just right. like freak show. First it was Bin Laden, then it was um, Zarqawi, then it was Mousawi, then it was Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, and then it was, uh, you know, Anwar Awalaki. Yeah. So they, they like have to cycle through these different figurehead boogeyman every once in a while because one person is not enough to generate that the fear and the emotion that they need. And how many times have we seen number two Al Qaeda dead? Yeah, like, I mean there's that's always another a number thing, two yeah. Al Qaeda. You know, it's yeah. like every. Yeah, and now it's Zawahri. He's the one like still doing speeches and stuff. Bin Laden's like right hand man or whatever. Yeah, the, the anthrax attacks was used to sell the the Iraq war to the UN by Colin Powell. The amount of a teaspoon, less than a teaspoonful of dry anthrax in an envelope, shut down the United States Senate. Iraq declared 8,500 liters. If concentrated into this dry form, this amount would be enough to fill tens upon tens upon tens of thousands of teaspoons. And Saddam Hussein... Um, another form of agitation propaganda mm-hmm. to get us to hate Saddam Hussein. And they use this idea of the mobile weapons labs basically to, like, convolute the whole concept of weapon inspections. Where it would be, okay, we'll just go in there, you know, search all his stuff, and he's going to let us search it all. But they started it from the get-go of saying, well, look... This is all the ways where he can make it so that even if you do send weapons inspectors in, he shits like mobile, dude. So he's just gonna like drive away like as soon as you. Yeah, like, mobile go up weapons. To the lab. What is he running like meth labs out of fucking yeah. trailer homes? I mean, what, yeah. is, 
the hell? Well, is no, he he's doing that crafty, that? Abby, that he's prepared for a UN's weapon inspection, so you can never catch him. In recent weeks, Fox News is still saying Bush was right. They found weapons. Of mass- They're still saying like that. WikiLeaks cables. Reveal that there were weapons of mass destruction, but they're not saying that it's That's from the Gulf War ironic. and that they're Wiki from. Cables. <laughs> I know, so they're saying WikiLeaks has exposed there were WMDs and all this shit. It's like we, those are actually weapons that we gave Saddam during the Gulf War, or that Saddam had because well, yeah, we were. I mean, we had the. What do they say? What's the saying? Well, the reason we knew he had them is because we have the receipts. You know, <laughs> whatever. I mean, that's and that's another completely irrelevant. Right argument to make about the Iraq war anyways, even though that was the reason they sold it to us. That's not a reason to invade a country anyways. Even well, in that I wouldn't I I would hope <laughs> you're right, Robbie, but look at what's but, happening with Syria and Iran. Yeah. And no, North Korea. Right, yeah. How crazy is this North Korea shit now? I'm sorry to go off on a tangent, we'll talk about that later, but go with the timeline. <laughs> so a little over a month after Colin Powell um, got the UN weapons inspectors to start inspecting Iraq. March 19, 2003, is the first day of the Iraq War. And think about this. So we're already we're already a little, well, almost two years after 9/11 happened, right? You know, you think of the Columbia uh, shuttle disaster, mm-hmm. um, things like that, and how soon afterwards, you know, even the TWA 800 flight that was mysteriously like blown up or. or Mm-hmm. Well, in the pieces into the ocean, off the coast, yeah, they they start an investigation right away. The relatives are, you know, demanding answers. But we're not hearing about this whole time. We weren't really hearing it at all, about it at all in the media, barely at all. Is that people who were relatives of people who died in nine eleven were demanding an investigation? <laughs> Mindy Kleinberg, Patty Casaza, Lori Van Auken, Kristen Breitweiser. These women banded together after their husbands were killed, and now they're leading a campaign to find out exactly how did 9-11 happen. They wanted an investigation to take place because it was extremely delayed. And like you said, the Bush administration was asking the Senate to delay making a decision on it. Unheard of amount of time to suppress an investigation after a major event. Unheard of. Absolutely unheard of. Yeah, completely unheard of. And the 9-11 Commission actually started their hearings... And they were held from March 2003 to April 1st, 2003. And all during, like, the initial stages of the Iraq War. Like, during this really heightened, intense thing going on in the Middle East that the media was glued to, these 9-11 commissions were happening that barely anyone watched or gave a a shit about. That that makes sense now what Tom Daschle was saying at the time when he was saying, like, they hyped up, they they immediately jumped into the war... Yeah, <laughs> like, hey, wait, 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 can you, like, not uh, do the commission until we launch our next war? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please? They're like, hold on, hold on, don't investigate anything until we're full-fledged into another fucking ground war and occupation. Hold yeah. on, don't investigate. Yep. And don't, do you dare investigate what we're saying about getting us into this war? <laughs> Why we should even be invading another country? So, yeah, no wonder everyone's just like, oh, my God. But I remember that at the time, and, and, and just to give a point to the people, because really, I'm uh, guilty of this too, but when we look back at the last decade and we, we look critically at the media and we say they're, you know, they're the arm piece of the government, sold us these wars, they say, a lot of people look at the media and they're like, well, they were duped too. They were in, in the middle of this hysterical time, and of course that's no excuse, but they say like, well, they were tricked and da-da-da. 
That's actually not true. Um, they had a very specific agenda to fill, an agenda to sell war specifically. They purposefully ignored um, millions and millions of people all around the world opposing yeah. the Iraq invasion. They, uh, they ignored yeah. the biggest anti-war groundswell in this country since Vietnam. And um, I mean, tens of thousands of people flooding the National Mall, marching in D.C., completely ignored. Yeah. Ignored. Yeah, you're, you're completely ignored. And they're smart, man. I mean, they released a pressure valve even on that specific thing you just mentioned. Way later, the media unanimously claimed, I think even Fox News went out there on a limb and said that a bunch of retired generals came on to give unbiased opinions, you know, ungovernment opinions about the war. But in fact... They were secretly still working for the government to sell the war. Mm -hmm. So, sorry guys, they they screwed us. Like, they lied to us. Which is a total pressure valve, fake, like, taking the fall. Like, yep. they they were completely complicit, 100%. No, no, no. New York Times comes out later and does a mea culpa about, you know, Judith Miller, and we were complicit in this and that. No, you, Bullshit, you deliberately, dude. you're deliberately part of this horrible, horrible thing. Yeah. Yeah, and Scooter Libby was another pressure valve release. It's like, well, and that was like the WM. I Do you know what? WM Someone thing. used that as an excuse to me. That's so funny you bring that up. Someone used that as a reason why the administration can't keep secrets. Because they even ousted a CIA. You hold someone up as a sacrificial lamb, and then you pardon them afterwards. <laughs> Cheney was mad at Bush for not commuting. Or, or no, he didn't pardon him. He commuted his sentence, which is basically freeing him from jail. Right. But he still has a criminal record. Cheney was mad that he that Bush didn't, like, pardon him completely and erase his record. <laughs> so, but so that's, yeah. But that is true, Robbie. The, what you just brought up, that's what people... These little things, they're very sophisticated. When you, no, you, know, you, you gotta, see the you Bush administration... And you got to lay them all out in the order do. that they happen, too, because it's it all connects together. And At least really, the propaganda does. And, and think about this. Also, the propaganda works so well that even people who are very aware, very critically minded, still hold on to these latchets of information like the Scooter Libby thing. And they're like, well, this... You know, I'm remembering this one reason why it makes yeah. me not think that the administration is, like, criminally well, it feels good. culpable. It feels good to, like, when, they, when the media seem to jump on the Bush administration and make them pay. You know, it felt right. really good because we've just been, like, abused. Right. We're, we're being I mean, we're abused. We're battered wives. Yeah. So it's like it's almost like the battered wife seeing, like, the police slap their husband on the wrist and, like, getting all excited or something. It's this weird psychological catharsis. And I just wanted to read something that's very poignant, and it kind of goes along with what you're saying in, in terms of the propaganda mechanisms used by the Bush administration. But Karl Rove, of course, you know, the puppeteer... Bush's brain, quote-unquote, um, told Ron Suskin from the New York Times, I know that we're talking shit about the New York Times, but this is a really good article that he put out. And of course, when we're talking about these media organizations, it's more of a self-censorship, it's more of, of um, just the unquestioning instead of like the top-down control, although there is that as well. But anyway, so Ron Suskin's writing this article for the New York Times on October 17th, 2004, Quoting, obviously, Karl Rove, he's saying the top George W. Bush aide. Clearly, he's talking about Karl Rove. He said, the aide said that guys like me were in, quote, what we call the reality-based community, which he defines as people who believe that solutions emerge from your judicious study of discernible reality. That's not the way the world works anymore. We're an empire now, and when we act, we create our own reality. And while you're studying that reality, judiciously as you will, we'll act again creating other new realities, which you can study too. And that's how things will sort out. We're history's actors, and you, all of you, will be left to study what we do. 
That's Karl Rove telling blatantly, um, flamboyantly bragging, boasting to the New York Times top reporter um, that they totally create reality, that everyone just uh, lackeys to them, um, that they are totally above everything. Yeah, the guy's complicit in mass murder. I mean, he's a total <laughs> psychopath. He's just, and just the way he looks, he's just disgusting. He like, is like a living pig. He, his he's Carl like a Rove disgusting. Rap, his MC Rove thing is just yeah. like he's like an emperor, just like juggling severed heads or something. It's like the modern equivalent of like Caligula or something. It's just so <laughs> bizarre. Like, yeah, I don't know, man. That shit's fucked. But, but I mean, this is the way that they think about the world. They 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 look at themselves in this yeah. regard. They have that's no a moment shame. of truth. That's a rare moment of truth from Karl Rove, right there. You know, and I'm sure he's talking himself up a little bit. But at the time, it was true. What mm-hmm. he's saying is true. They were they were the masters of reality. They were the in control of the narrative. Right. And they were creating this emotional storm and feeding into it. And, and what other jabbing us over and over again? What best? What better example of that than 9/11 itself? And everything that happened Absolutely. after that. I mean, he just described perfectly what happened. But anyways, continue. Well, just I was just thinking how interesting it is that you never seen any pictures of him on nine eleven. Like, what was his like? Because he was there with Bush the whole time at the school. Are we jerking Bush off under the desk? <laughs> <laughs> so the the next thing I wanted to get to, which is the first major pressure valve release, and it was a form of directed, carefully honed agitation propaganda designed to go against the U.S. government. And it was in the form of the now well-known Richard Clark, the terrorism czar or whatever for the Bush administration, who he says that he is sorry for their failures on 9-11, that he apologizes to the American public for bungling his responsibilities. Was this this after the PDB memo was starting to get some traction, or was this totally randomly? Because I remember this happening after there was some sort of pressure about This was, I think it might have been right after that, because Condoleezza Rice, I think, had already testified to the Mm -hmm. commission. And she was the one who was grilled about PDB memo. We didn't really see that. I mean, this is not anything really that the public had seen unless you were watching the No, you can watch it now. At, yeah. You can watch it now, but you can't watch Bush and Cheney because they did it under closed doors mm-hmm. and not under oath. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you can watch the Connellisa Rice one. And I think that this, I do think that the Richard Clark apology happened afterwards. I also welcome the hearings because it is finally a forum where I can apologize to the loved ones of the victims of 9-11, to them who are here in the room, to those who are watching on television, your government failed you. Those entrusted with protecting you failed you. And I failed you. We tried hard, but that doesn't matter because we failed. And for that failure, I would ask, once all the facts are out, for your understanding and for your forgiveness. For that, Mr. Chairman, I'll be Somewhere to. along the line, he was designated as the fall guy. Someone wanted to make him the fall guy, and he agreed to do it. Yeah, and even That if wasn't he, even a natural he, thing. Even if he, he believes just... it, even if he believes it, that was his role, to go out and say that they failed... So the second that this is like the first bone that they threw at us, literally. Absolutely, and it and it and the nine eleven commissions, you know, if they were allowed to exist in the way that they were, 
you know, they should have been uh, designed, then they would have found that that wasn't the case. Well, and, it's and, and clearly not from all the evidence that you can find now that that's not, it was not a failure of intelligence. They had heaps, they had too much of it. It's like, it, it, you cannot say that. They had so well, much Bobby, information. They had too much information. They didn't, know, <laughs> they didn't know what was happening because they have so much. Because our intelligence is so good. Right. It's like coming out of the... But think they about had this. 19, they had 19 hijackers' names. They were all going to different flight schools. They all lived all, with different FBI informants. How do we keep track of all this How do we stuff? keep track of these people? The yeah. able danger is so Oh, yeah. Expensive. Here's our chart that we had made like two months before 9-11 with Mohammed Atta in the fucking center quick, with like a quick web Quick, destroy it. Quick, destroy it. Burn yeah. all the data. Delete the terabyte of information about able danger. But wait. Robbie, here's an idea. How come it took them two years to even say it was a failure of intelligence? Do you think that the day of 9-11 they would have said, we're so sorry we failed? Why did it take them two years to even put throw out a sacrificial lamb and put a petrol? Do you think that, that would be well, immediately? Well, that's a good question. I think in some in some regard there must the have been... The hubris shows strong. They're like, they don't even need... I mean, they didn't need... We didn't need anything. Been, there must have already been some kind of whisper campaign out there suggesting that already. Right. And I think... And I think that there was some stuff because when George Tennant resigned, I think that that might have happened before this, where it's like this. There was like news stories out about how the CIA and FBI and White House were like at odds with each other on like what to do about the threat. So that was already out there, kind of. But nobody had apologized or taken the fall, you know, specifically. It was more just like, well, the CIA knew this, but they didn't tell the FBI this. That was already sort of out there, right? Which is all bullshit, too. I mean, yeah, they but, just chose not no, to. No, you're hear. right. They I mean, specifically is... wanted to omit things. I mean, Richard Clark claims he that this guy named Richard Blee like took out the specific warnings about 9/11 that would have normally got to him. I mean, which who knows if we can trust this dude? I mean, yeah, he's I obviously mean, a player in the whole thing. But I think an important aspect of what we're talking about, just in case people don't realize what Able Danger is, um, it was just this giant program, um, not spearheaded by. By Anthony Colonel Schaefer, was it? He was just kind of he just kind of no, talked he was about just it. Part he of was it. just part of it. Yeah. Basically, it was a huge program, intelligence gathering program of all these hijackers that supposedly did 9/11, um, where they lived, the fact that they were living with multiple FBI informants, um, some of them actually living with them, others living under the roof of like a landlord that was an FBI informant. Um, all trained on U.S. military bases, almost all of them. Just very interesting things that we had known that we had, were mapping out that they were, were obviously tracking these people. Um, mm-hmm. And then after 9-11, these people involved in the program, Able Danger, were ordered to destroy all of the documents, which was equivalent to a, a quarter of the information in the Library of Congress. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's an insane that's amount of information. Yeah. Why would they... Why? Why would they be ordered to destroy information about the hijackers that they knew about before 9-11? And also Sibel Edmonds. Go to 911myths.com for some bullshit explanation of why that... I was just reading that website today. It's God, don't even ridiculous. plug it. Yeah, I mean, I, I want people to just see it because it, it's it's really weird how many excuses they can make one after the other it's like when they're when they go through the bin laden denials and admissions they're just like well this denial is might not it's probably not from a verifiable source this denial doesn't seem like it's from a source we can verify and then like when it comes to the admissions they're like well this source is very you can find out that it's real but i already question people who like spend all their time harassing me about 9-11 and trolling oh yeah it's like it's like spending all your time well that i mean that that, makes even less sense people who are like debunking it oh no it is it is strange and i think a lot of them are just really emotional about 9-11 and just 
get God. got really sucked Bizarre. into the war on terror, and then some of them might be agents. Yeah. For real, like I'm, I, I'm not going to call in any specific no. people, but, but I will suggest that certain people polluted the growing um, anti-official narrative, like movement, the 9/11, what's also known as the 9/11 Truth Movement. Here's the deal: if anyone is a critical thinker, then you have to acknowledge the the obvious fact that the FBI, CIA, and and the government in general have infiltrated activism groups uh, for ever since that they've existed. Yeah. Um, they spy, they infiltrate. It just came out that they heavily infiltrated Occupy Wall Street, coordinated these federalized crackdowns. I mean, this is all very out in the open, yeah. heavily infiltrating, heavil- heavily surveilled all mm-hmm. of these groups. To think that they haven't infiltrated and haven't spread disinformation and propaganda and tried to take down a movement that we know is rooted in facts. I mean... We're just, uh, we're outlining facts. There mm-hmm. are plenty of facts that show that the Bush administration at least knew about 9/11. If that's true, that's treasonous. They could all be arrested and and tried for treason. And so because of that alone, I mean, it would give them incentive to try to cover up their tracks and spread all this false information and take down any legitimate sort of movement that's questioning their motives, questioning what happened, questioning well, what yeah, they've told us. It's a us. given that they've that they've infiltrated. Every major activist movement that there is. So the, so the real is question definitely. is how. The real question is how have they done it, and how can you see through it? And I guess the the, the thing is you can't. I mean, you just have to, to really. You got to just stick to the facts. Filter your information. The only thing we have are the are the facts that can be verified in, in, in from multiple angles. Yeah, you cannot speculate who did it, why. The um, technology that was yeah, used, you just can't. with some exceptions. I mean, the stuff Stephen Jones has done, there's some validity in that. But to go too far into that and specifically only focus on the buildings, I personally think is the wrong course to really jab a wound into these into the people who are behind this. I've realized and I've learned so much since waking up, and I don't blame people for learning about this and just wanting to. Talk to everyone about it. It is very shocking. Once you can you, wrap your head around it and believe it, it, it it's shocking. It is. But, it, but I told these people, I was like, look, I'm, I, I, I used to say the same things. I was like, I really just think that if we can unify behind a message of exposing the cover-up and exposing like the facts that are totally verifiable and that everyone can see, that's yeah. a better way to do it. And I just completely changed my approach. I was really sucked into the whole building implosion thing, and I still believe... That it's very likely and probably happened. I just don't. I'm just not like willing to spend. The, I, it's not to me. It's not worth trying to puncture the 9/11 official narrative by spending too much time on that. I mean, it's worth mentioning. You know, you have to reach people where it can relate to them, and where it can relate to them is the fact that, like, the Pentagon not being evacuated, the second tower not being evacuated. Mm-hmm. These very clear things that are very provable and real, and and do some like reverse psyop shit and just kind of wake them up and be like look these are all things that are totally proven and that yeah. prove that they fucking were criminal yeah or just look at the, the things that didn't happen that day and why yeah so we left off at the the end of the 9-11 commission hearings they're relatively short only like a month less than a month long they and we'll put it put in it we'll put in a clip right now on the timeline of bush and cheney you know Cheney, yeah. Bush explaining why they didn't testify together. He looks like a fucking lying retard. Well, it's can... great. And I think in response to that, Howard Dean made a statement to the press where he suggested that Bush knew about 9-11 and didn't do anything. I know you said there'll be a time for politics, but you've also said you wanted to change the tone of Washington. Howard Dean recently seemed to muse aloud 
whether you had advanced knowledge of 9-11. Do you agree or disagree with the RNC that this kind of rhetoric borders on political hate speech? Yeah. Uh, look, there's time for politics. And, uh, you know, it's time for politics. And uh, I, uh, it's an absurd insinuation. In that case, sir, can I follow up on something unrelated? Uh, <laughs> oh, was that then, when they destroyed him and said that? The and then that Dean, Dean scream happened Dean real scream, fast bro. after that. Dean the scream, Dean, bro. The Dean scream that a bunch of my <laughs> the, fucking the Dean scream. <laughs> so manufactured. I mean, that's not how what the audience heard. It was like the media feed, like. Oh, of course. Like, the audience didn't hear... I mean, yeah, it was like a loud, like, yelp or whatever. I mean, like, yeah, it sounded, like, awkward and kind of nerdy or whatever. But, like, fucking that ruined his career? Like, yeah. like people out there think that that is legitimate? Like, that Have is Have you seen House crazy. of Cards at all? No, but I, I've meant... I've been meaning to. Okay, so it, one, it, gets, it gets kind of bad. But the beginning couple episodes are good. And, like, it just shows you how, literally, I mean, these things are manipulated so hard. And all these politicians mm-hmm. are so bought out. And it's like, they know. I mean, if you don't play the game, they'll, they'll out you in one second. And it shows this really good part in in the film where Kevin Spacey kind of feeds this line. Um, or, or, like, you know, he's fucking this journalist, and she releases, like, this line about the, a, a guy who wrote some article, kind of reminded me of the Ron Paul newsletters from the 80s, and it said something about how he referred to Israel as an occupying force. And so, anyway, this, this interviewer kind of throws it out there and says, like, did you write this 20 years ago about Israel, da-da-da, and the guy kind of, like, he says one wrong thing, and then his career's over. And then, of course, you can just take that one line, and it's like, you're just replaying it over and over again, and your your image is ruined. I mean, that's how easy it is. But then, of course, you can be, you know, you can be like that asshole who said he wishes Mike came home in a body bag, Todd Concanon. You can be like... Um, all these different Republicans and stuff who who have horrible scandals, but the media doesn't focus on it, then no one really cares. No, because so like they the don't. There's not an. There's not a um, people working behind the scenes to try to take that yeah. person down. That's the. Re- yeah. Ironically, on April first, two thousand and three, Jessica Lynch was said to have been quote rescued by the U.S. military in Iraq, after she was found at an Iraqi hospital after suffering injuries during an attack. This was not an intentional April Fool's joke by the U.S. military, but an attempt to drum up support for the invasion of Iraq. On April 2, 2003, the Pentagon released a five-minute raw video of the rescue and claimed that Lynch had stab and bullet wounds and that she had been slapped about on her hospital bed and interrogated. All of those claims were later found out to be completely fabricated by the Pentagon and whoever was trying to control this PR operation at the time. She didn't incur any stab wounds. She wasn't shot. She was never slapped about or interrogated in her hospital bed. The doctors who treated her actually made a point to disassociate her from the ongoing conflict. Um, The Iraqi military was in charge of the area that the hospital was in, but they never bothered her or harassed her while she was recovering in bed. An authorized biography later came out called I Am a Soldier 2, and it was written by Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Rick Bragg. And in the book, he states that Jessica Lynch had been raped in the three hours she was unconscious during her captivity. But Jessica Lynch does not recall any rape, any sexual assault, or anything like that. 
and she claims that she adamantly opposed to including the rape claim in her book, but that Bragg, quote, wore her down and told her that people need to know this is what can happen to women soldiers. Now, since then, um, it's well known that that was a hoax and that she wasn't rescued in this firefight operation whatsoever. Uh, you can easily find out information on the internet about exactly what happened to her and how it was completely different from the scenario that the U.S. military claimed. That form of agitation propaganda by making American citizens feel like female soldiers were being raped, beaten, shot, stabbed, um, and basically tortured in the hospital. Uh, the damage at that point had already been done. It really didn't matter that later the American public was told it was a lie. The emotion had already been generated, which was the intention behind it. So on May 1st, 2003, is when Bush made the Mission Accomplished speech, which is less than two months after the first day of the invasion. <laughs> That he made the, oh, the yeah, yeah. space speech on the aircraft carrier with him in the flight suit. Holy shit, what a fucking That was idiot. really good. I remember how they kept saying, like, it's going to be two weeks, it's going to be four weeks, it's going to be six yeah. weeks, and they're what like, mission accomplished, bro. motherfucking dumbass. Holy shit, dude. He's retarded. Like, that's... I mean, I, I, I like to think that he's not as retarded as people make him out to be, but that is shockingly dumb. Like... Yeah, and I mean, he, he's, even he's if someone such put a him puppet. up to that, like, why the fuck would he do? Fall yeah, they like dress shit? him up in a flight suit and just kick him out me, there. Man? They're like, all right, birdcage liner, get out there in the flight yeah. suit. <laughs> <laughs> so, Fahrenheit 9/11 never really undermined the fundamental logic for going into Iraq in the first mm-hmm. place. Um, yeah, which is never brought which up. Is Anthrax why... barely brought it up in the movie. Right. Um, all Fahrenheit 9/11 really did is uncover the Saudi Arabian bin Laden family connections to the Bush family. And if I could just say one thing about that, um, I have a little article pulled up here about how now um, 9-11 victims' families who, of course, have spent 10-plus years, you know, trying to get a new investigation, none of their questions were answered, and then they have all these people who now, almost the same amount of people who died on 9-11, almost 3,000 people have now died from cancers as a result of being lied to about the air quality, about being inhaling, you know, toxic dust, debris, asbestos, and pulverized buildings. Aside from all that, the victims' families, uh, I don't exactly know what group this is, but they're basically suing, saying that um, they're asking the Second Circuit Court of Appeals to revive a lawsuit following a ruling where it was determined that basically Saudi, they're saying that Saudi Arabia, that there's enough evidence behind Saudi Arabia's involvement in 9-11 for them to reopen a new investigation. They're trying to sue. Well, there, there absolutely is, yeah. Absolutely. And and that so, of course, you know, this will be ignored. Um, a district judge dismissed the case. This was back in 2005. Yeah. Saying that, um, you know, it wasn't really relevant. And now they're just trying to revive it after um, another ruling saying... Yeah, basically just saying there is. <laughs> that there is enough evidence and that they, they're not going to let this go. So it is just really interesting. Um, yeah, it's interesting. And aside from this fact, even if even if there wasn't any evidence of Saudi Arabia being involved, the fact that one of the guys in charge of, what was it, Keene or Hamilton, who said that it doesn't matter where the funding came from. Because it's of little significance. It's of little practical significance of where the finances of 9-11 came from. 
Was it Zelikow? Because it was so small. I don't even know. Some asshole. It was one of the assholes on the commission who said, yeah. in response to someone asking, how come Muhammad Atta, which is the... I'm sorry. I totally got that wrong. How come General Mahmoud Ahmed, the Pakistani ISI general, how come he was having breakfast with Condoleezza Rice in the morning of 9-11? It's an India Times guy, and he's like, why did this happen? And she says, you know, he wasn't having breakfast with me. But then when someone followed up about how that guy wire transferred $100,000 to Muhammad Atta... Some guy in the high-level Pakistani government wire-transferred all this money to the lead hijacker, and their response to the question was, that's of little practical significance. How is it of little practical significance where $100,000 was wire-transferred to a lead hijacker? It was of such little practical significance that they omitted it out of the White House transcript of the India Times guy asking Condoleezza Rice. Every single other question is fully transcribed except for when he asks about him, it is omitted from the transcript and it says unintelligible. When it's really? when I you listen it to it well. and you can fucking hear it. Just that. It's yeah, like, that on. alone. That alone out of everything that we've They're talked trying about. To, that's, that that, okay, guys. That's They're called, erasing that's evidence. Called, that's called a direct element of a cover-up. <laughs> You're revising transcripts of the historical record. Unbelievable. So I wanted to I wanted to backtrack a little bit because I made the mistake of saying that the, the popularity in the Iraq war plummeted that quickly. It didn't. It took a long time. Right. Fahrenheit at 9-11 actually didn't come out until... Didn't it happen like after Maybe Fallujah? like a, a year after. I don't know when exactly when Fallujah happened. Mm-hmm. I'd have to look that up. So after the mission accomplished speech, um, stuff happens. There's a gap in the timeline until April of 2004 which is a little under a year later. That's when the Abu Ghraib scandal broke. Mm-hmm. And we'll link to a really in-depth article about that that we that we put together for Media Roots. Um, yeah, Robbie did a really good job on that. All the torture and, shit. And I think that is what actually started people to rebel against Iraq War more. I mean, there was already a protest movement, like you said, that was ignored. But the Mar- American public, the general populace, right. started to become against the war. Right. Because it was undeniable. I mean, there's pictures. Yeah, right-wingers and people try to be like, oh, what's the big deal? They're just making them walk around They're naked. just a few bad apples, bro. They, 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 they. A few I mean, bad just, apples, yeah. bro. Yeah, bad, the bad apple excuse. All this bullshit. Rumsfeld took the fall for that one. Um, the or did invest- he? I mean, he didn't even really take the fall. Well, he, he just, resigned. Right, He right. resigned. Just like when you ask, I love how you ask the guy you interviewed, he's like, Why? Why'd you resign? Because <laughs> it's like almost always code for they were fired. I know, you know? I know. Well, it was it's so bullshit. funny. The guy they wasn't were... expecting. It was so funny because he Guy's was just like, he, he was just like, yeah, okay, we're talking about PJ Crowley. And really quickly, I do want to talk about this really quickly. PJ Crowley, former Obama administration official who, quote, resigned after saying that Bradley Manning's treatment was stupid, end quote. And he came on the show clearly having no idea what RT was or what the show was at all. And so he was just expecting like a very canned interview. And I was just like, so. You left. I was like, so why did, did the administration pressure you to leave? And he was like, no, I resigned. I was like, but why? Why did you resign if the administration wasn't pressuring you? I was just going to say, I wish that I did better on the PJ Crowley interview. It's just, I just was completely unprepared. I had no idea. Like, like as they introduced him to me, they were just like, this guy is like very outspoken against the establishment. He like left the Obama administration. And What? Yeah. And and he's like speaking out against drones and speaking out against Bradley Manning. I was like, oh, this is gonna be great. Like, and then he started just repeating. It was like he was like vying for another position in the establishment. I was like, wait, what? Did you really get fired, or are you still on the payroll? No one. I mean, come on. Like, no one really leaves. Yeah, I mean, mean, like at least the guys who talk like that, 
I mean, that's yeah. ridiculous. If you're leaving, then you're going to be like a John Karyaku where you're like going to prison. Like, if you're like speaking out. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly. We're not going to be like a PJ yeah. Crowley who's just like, yeah, yeah. dude. Don Karyaku, I mean, he's the real deal. It's just right. like, that's that's it. Like, that's yeah, a guy who's prison. who's seen the inside and knows how <laughs> fucked up it is and right. is not afraid to talk about it. Right. And in some ways, maybe he's even afraid to talk about some certain things he did see. I mean, right. who knows? But yeah. he's saying a lot. Right. So only one month after the Abu Ghraib scandal happened, try to guess what happened. I want, I want to see if you can guess. Well, you have the outline Jessica in front of you, Lynch. don't you? No, that happened actually like really early on. I think that was like when the initial, during like the beginnings of the war. Oh. So we're like a year out from the war right now. Oh, the Nick Berg. Yep. Yeah. So a month after, and I mean, it's like, it's almost just like they're trying to outdo stuff. It's just like, oh shit, how are we going to deflect this, um, this giant scandal showing our soldiers like molesting Iraqi prisoners? Right. Oh, um, you know, let's do a, a, something of the variation of these people cut people's heads off, like right. more agitation propaganda to dehumanize the enemy. Right. If they weren't dehumanized enough already, you know? Like total counter antidote to the the uh, and I and I completely and I completely remember also it does it did work because I remember at the time people saying well they behead people I remember mm-hmm. people saying that all the time and I was just like but that what is that even relevant Quote, at all they behead people like, but it's like and we have giant tanks and LRAD machines and like yeah. I, I mean what I mean so it's it, I mean it was it it was a total agitation propaganda campaign. Whether Nick Berg was actually killed by Islamic terrorists or, or soldiers in Iraq or not, that's a whole other debate. Right. And there's a lot of questionable, weird elements about that as well. Whether he was or not, they used it to try to get people sucked into and emotionally riled up again. It was almost like the dancing Palestinian footage. Yeah, they was. fucking showed the video of him getting beheaded on television, like, yeah. all day long. Yeah. It was and very shocking. And I remember his dad was even like, this is disgusting. Yeah, his dad yeah. was like, "I blame Bush. Like, get, like this is horrible. It was like this really emotional thing where his dad was like totally against how." Yeah, they were he became it. pretty anti-war really fast. Um, and I look at that as whether it was actually happened the way the media says it did or not. The the way that it was presented to us by the media all day long, it was done to try to as a damage control for the Abu Ghraib scandal, and also just to make us hate. Arabs even more or Muslims even more than we already had you know yeah. just like just p- poking that beehive one more time yeah. so right after the Nick Berg beheading video about two months later the 9-11 commission reports puts its findings in a commercially available book form <laughs> which was like a whole PR campaign I remember there was like news footage of the book being like printed on the press like little oh, stock God. b-roll and shit oh no, hell oh. yeah dude like oh. B-roll all over the place. Like, like the we need to get like press, ten. Like... We need to get like ten angles of the book on the shelves in Barnes and Noble, and like get fucking more fo- like money shots of the book wow. stacked up. It was hilarious. So it was like, hey guys, we did our investigation, and we we're so confident in, in our investigation that we're going to publish it in book form and sell it to you for money. And people bought it, and it was like a it was like the New York Times bestseller for like a couple months. And that was kind of like. 
that was kind of like the pressure valve release. Like, look, we investigated it, and now any questions you had will be answered in this giant book. You'll have to read the whole thing to believe, to know for bullshitting or not. So then in, in August 2004, um, a month after the 9-11 Commission report really was released in book form, is when our, when I say our, I mean me and Ben's Behe- and, and Lori's beheading hoax video hit the media and that was we did that right after the Nick Berg beheading video because we, th- we thought well this looks fake to us so we're just going to make one in our garage really quickly and see if people will think it's real and apparently the media wanted to just create this agitation propaganda so badly they were so used to it at this point that they just pumped that shit out like it was real so I wake up in the morning with a video of my friend being beheaded by me in a garage with fake blood and they're acting like it's real and then immediately they go to Ben's house and interview him and find out he's still alive it was all hoax but the real propaganda that was spread that day was that the FBI launched a campaign against us to try to smear us in the media and basically every if you watch any media outlet that day you would have just assumed we went to jail by the way they were talking about us the California prankster who produced an internet video in which he posed as an American hostage who's beheaded in Iraq says that he was making a social statement. It's shocking to be sure, but could he face criminal charges for it? I think we're all in better shape than this guy is right now. This fake beheading Mercedes, can this guy be prosecuted? You know, they were just like, the FBI is doing an investigation. Are they going to be prosecuted? What, what, kind of, what crimes did they commit? Um, things like that and we never got a chance to go on and be like no we didn't commit any crimes this is a bullshit investigation they weren't interested in that they were only interested in showing that anyone who does anything to try to combat this kind of agitation propaganda in a a way that's this effective will be will be fucking intimidated and you'll get smeared like if we're not going to actually be able to arrest you we will intimidate you and smear you yeah and once again the media acted like you guys purposefully tricked them and and how dare you yeah, guys they spit on the spit on the grave of Nick Berg but really yeah, well, you what played they failed, Nick Berg dying on TV all day long yeah, and, and what you're they, trying to call us offensive and what they failed to say is that they just picked it off of uh, a media sharing website, Kazaa, and just played it as if it was real. And Ben yeah. says his name. I mean, th- this is a whole other story that people should check out on our first Nine Eleven um, show breakdown. Mm-hmm. But Absolutely. it is a shocking story, and it really does show the media's complete ineptitude and just yeah, not and even fervor to just to, to qu- just like play anything. into this fear. Yeah. yeah, like they were just like another beheading. Play yeah. it quick. Play it. Play it. <laughs> so that's what they did. Yeah, and then pretty much. Uh, not too long after this happened, um, they claimed that our video was the reason they kicked Al Jazeera out of Iraq, and they put greater scrutiny on press operating in Iraq. Yeah, because it was really this. foreign press's uh, yeah. role. They claimed totally they blamed Al Jazeera for it, which is hilarious. <laughs> that is amazing. Like acting like they like gave spread disinformation. It's like, well, no, actually, that's not what happened at all. Yeah. Um, Jesus Christ. So then later, there was a lot of ac- other beheading videos that came out that may or may not have been real that the media just was, like, too afraid to touch. I mean, they, they, they touched it a little bit, but they weren't as intense as they were with the, the Ben or the Nick Berg beheading one because they were afraid. They didn't, they didn't want to get, like, tricked again, you know? 
Yeah, and you're right. There were, there were very little beheading beheading news in the yeah. news after Even that. though there was a lot. Like, there was, like, over 20 reported by the media beheadings that just weren't, they weren't used as agitation propaganda. Right. And there's a distinct difference between a beheading that was used for agitation propaganda and one that was not. I mean, they right. just don't, they cover it once and then that's right. it. Right. They don't try to get you to hate another uh, race of people. You know, at the same time, it's very clear when they do that. Yeah, and they of don't. course, of course. So, so then, like around this time, is when nine eleven truth stuff started to become pretty well researched and, and legitimate in the sense that there was good books coming out around this time. Um, Mike Rupert released "Crossing the Rubicon" in September of two thousand and four, which was the first book, to my knowledge, to expose that there were war games going on on nine eleven that involved hijackings and all this shit. Simulated hijackings. So, this is right before this is when John Kerry is, you know, he's won the primary. Um, you know, we're gearing up into the election, and I think people were, you know, people were so worried about the election that people were like, you know, what's going to be the October surprise? You know, that that term that you hear, and lo and behold, the October surprise was from a dude we haven't we hadn't heard from for like three years. And it was in the form of a videotape where Bin Laden uh, does a taped speech about how America is going to need to choose. Like the translation made it sound like he's asking you to like choose who you're going to vote for in the American elections. And it's also in the translation. It's also apparently his first actual admission or supposed admission to the attacks. So that it's funny the way the media presents it because it's like, well, he confessed in this video back in December of 2001, but no, actually in 2004 was his first admission. It's like you can't have it both ways. Like this well, was. Well, <laughs> think about that for one second because that is extremely shocking. October 29th. So, so is, even if November even if you 7th? believe even if you believe that Bin Laden did that, why would Bin Laden be playing into politics? Why would he want Kerry to win? Why would Bin Laden yeah. take a political stand on our? political spectrum bizarre, on our, on our elections why and why would he play into the October surprise thing I mean it's almost like we're just pawns in this huge dog and pony show wag the dog setup where yeah, they're, I mean, they're, they're purposefully I mean they know it people are even making jokes about it the October surprise and then lo and behold a videotape of yeah. Bin Laden confessing 9-11 comes out days before the election does yeah. anyone else think this is just a little bit manufactured? Yeah, and and guess what? There's the actual documented evidence to show that Bush Bush was slightly behind in the polls, and then he got like a six point like surge so in some of the polls. So it works. Yeah, yeah, and he, wow. and then it still didn't stick because then the exit polls showed that Kerry was going to win, and, it, and well, we can it still go. didn't stick um, because yeah, <laughs> Kerry actually did win, even yeah. though he's a total pussy patsy. You know, designed to take the fall. He just bounces. He bounces, takes millions of dollars, and just we don't hear from him for like five years. And now he's back as Secretary of State. Amazing. And so after Bush wins the election, which is obvious, uh, um, John Kerry conceded in like yeah. two hours yeah, or something after, after the that. Exit polls were ridiculous. All flipped. Absolutely zero uh, contesting the outcome yeah. whatsoever. Zero. So after this election. The, the most important 9-11 event, at least in 2005, and even almost of 2006, is that the 9-11 truth movement and like the amount of people researching and uncovering new things like hit a, a huge peak. It exploded on yeah. the internet. 
Um, Webster Tarpley wrote Synthetic Terror in 2005. Alex Jones was all over 9-11 Truth at, during this pe- time period. It was like almost all he talked about all the time. Um, tons of people were coming out talking about it. Um, there was all this new information um, coming out. Um, C-SPAN aired a 9-11 Truth Symposium with Alex Jones, mm-hmm. Jim Fetzer, all these people live on television for like maybe like seven hours total. I mean, that, that's like how popular it became at the time. Um, and then not too long after that, Jim Fetzer and Morgan Reynolds, two people who sort of came went to the top of the 9-11 Truth Movement like scene really fast, started talking about space beams and TV fakery. Well, yeah, Morgan Reynolds was this ex, you know, Star Wars... No, that was Bowman. No, that's Rob Bowman. That's I Bowman. think he was like a Treasury Department Yeah, guy. he was an ex-administration insider, and that's why everyone was like, oh my God, we have these mm-hmm. people who were former administration officials coming out and saying the same thing. And so he gets this primetime TV spot to talk 9-11 Truth, and the first thing he says is that it was the planes were a hologram. Professor Reynolds says 9-11 was an inside job, and he joins us here from New York. Uh, there's so many things wrong with the 9-11 uh, fiction, the, the myth, the, the uh, official government conspiracy. Well, theory. you say, for example, that there, that there were no planes that hit the, the, the World Trade Center? Is that, is that your contention? And I encourage everybody to uh, do a frame-by-frame frame penetration of the South Tower, and what you will see is a fake, uh, a cartoon uh, display. So you're saying right you're, you're suggesting that there's some kind of cartoon animation there. You're suggesting that the news media was a part of this. Yes, those pictures I am. came from the news media. Yes. Yeah. And I'm oh, yeah. thinking this is completely insane. Obviously, this guy is a total stooge designed yeah. to spread this. And there's no other explanation why this guy would say that on national television. Yeah, and understandably, a lot of the people in the movement are paranoid because of what they believe, that they mm-hmm. believe the government killed 3,000 people um, of, of American citizens. So it just kind of, the 9-11 Truth Movement kind of just imploded at this right. at that point and splintered off into all these different factions that were warring with each other and calling out each other as being disinfo agents. I remember Webster Tarpley at some Convent, 9/11 Truth Convention called out the guy who hosts Visibility 9/11 and Cosmos as being disinfo agents. Yeah, remember the um, Kabuta pork warning or whatever? He like yeah. falsified a signature. He, yeah, he there was something weird pre- with that that just like presented, created a big controversy. He basically yeah. presented this this petition to all these prominent anti-war activists who weren't joined on with 9/11 Truth and saying that you know. They Basically, believe there's going to be some yeah, false and they, flag. Yeah, and they called and they signed it, not knowing he like switched it around at the last minute or lied about what it said. And so mm-hmm. then they all were like, "Why did you t- Why did you make me sign this thing when I didn't know what it said?" So that was also really strange. But yeah, yeah I mean, I mean, Jim Fetzer, Kevin Barrett, Judy Wood, Morgan Reynolds. I'm not saying that they are disinfo agents, but they were the main people, at least as far as I could see, that caused a lot of this like ridiculous splintering effect that happened in the movement at the time. And it just kind of, like, imploded. And I remember, like, most of the people fighting against Stephen Jones's information at the time were, like, TV fakery space beam proponents. Like, most of the you people. You know what's interesting, Robbie, and so sad, is that most of the people who try to talk to me about 9-11 now are purely Judy Wood people. Or, or, yeah. or Mossad did 9-11 people. Guess what? Those Jesse Ventura... 
does an e- episode of Conspiracy Theory about space beam weapons, and he interviews fucking Judy Wood. Are you kidding me? But oh, someone is leading him down the wrong fucking path. Like, okay, and we also got one of one of oh. um, one of these dudes. One of Jim Fetzer and Kevin Barrett's minions tried to come on our show and present an uh, Israeli um, Jews. Uh, conspiracy theory about 9-11 and we didn't air the episode because halfway through we realized it was almost like we were being punked by this dude. Yeah, we were like, so what evidence is there for Mossad doing 9-11 other than just Jewish names and companies being involved? Yeah, and he kept like acting like that was like that a, was like the a, que- like was that a question that was like offensive to even suggest that that's anti-Semitic, and I was thinking, like, but that's the definition of anti-Semitism. Right, I mean, I mean, there has to be something else, other than, yes, Israel profited because of our invasion of Middle Eastern countries and people that are Jewish-affiliated in their names. I mean, that there has to be something more than that just to say that a, a country's foreign intelligence apparatus did 9-11. I mean, that's insane. And it's totally counterintuitive, and yes, you can maybe speculate privately about, like, how how things were able to be carried out, but to come out on a, on a public forum and say that is completely, um, it's damaging. Yeah, and I'd like to call this era of American history as the war on 9-11 truth, because this, I mean, for, I remember for the whole year, it was just like, the 9-11 truth was reaching this, like, almost like too good to be true level yeah, of popularity. Like mass. It was like, like everyone's going to see it. Like a fucking bomb was dropped, like with shrapnel everywhere inside the movement. And all these people just started fighting with each other, calling each other disinfo agents. And I think it's very likely that there were some paid disruptors in the movement. I mean, this is even before comments were like on websites and stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is like before YouTube comments and shit. It was just in forums and... And people making, like, websites about TV fakery with all the, like, filled with information, like, just popping up out of nowhere. And and then during the same time, in March 2006, is when the Mossawi trial happened. So yeah. long after 9-11, it's yeah. like, it's almost like the American government was getting scared about that the 9-11 commission did not work. People were still very curious and questioning the bullshit because the 9-11 Commission itself is an obvious cover-up. All you have to do is read right. it. Right, and these two years were very crucial because once the Bush administration's out of office, of course they knew 9-11 was kind of in the bag. They had the next administration totally set up to not investigate, not prosecute, of course, anything. Um, so they just had to survive those last two years where there was really this critical mass coming down on them about 9-11. You're absolutely right. That's a great point. And they were, they were kind of... They'd kind of exhausted totally ignoring it. I mean, they had to address it, so then you saw a lot of vicious vicious propaganda attacks from the media about anyone who was questioning 9-11. But they had to, like, start putting these people on the air. I mean, even Richard Gage got some airtime. Um, you know, Stephen Jones. Of course, they were all, like, very hammered down very quickly. But people were starting to wake up, and, and that's when I really started to become very active in, like, in the movement, too. Yeah, and I, and I I remember being there with you. Like, I wasn't in San Diego, but... It was very much in just that rabbit hole constantly of researching. Mm-hmm. And I think around a little later, maybe Charlie Sheen came out and, and a lot of celebrities started coming out and questioning 9-11. Um, so around this time, March 2006, is it, 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 the trial coincided with the release of the film United 93. And what was so odd oh, in, a, in, a, in a circus of, of orchestrated coincidence... You know, pure coincidence. This had nothing to do with the other. 
United 93 was about Shanksville, right? And about the plane that was heroically crashed by the four passengers or whatever. The Mosawi trial was about him being this 20th hijacker that would have hijacked like an additional plane that wasn't a, a eventually, that did not happen, right? But for some reason, at the trial, to, to drum up all this emotion in the jury, they just used all this stuff from Shanksville. <laughs> I mean, what are the, I mean, think about that. While this movie is in theaters and being advertised, the trial is pumping out information to the media about Shanksville, showing, um, you know, pieces that were never shown before from the wreckage and stuff that still seem very odd. Like a red bandana that was, like, found, and the guy in United 93 is wearing a red bandana, like one of the hijackers. It's fucking bizarre. I mean, and this is, I mean, and then they also played the only recording from the one of the apparent black boxes that they found, but they only played it to the some of the family members that did not play it to the press, but they did release a transcript of it. Yeah, and, and just like the Pentagon releasing just, you know, one angle of a very slow frame plane entering the building, these things are done almost deliberately, it seems, because... There's so little transparency and so little facts made available that it forces you to speculate. And then when you speculate to people, then they say, well, you're, you're crazy or conspiracy theorist because you're speculating. And you're like, well, I'm, I'm actually forced to, to even explain this to you yeah. because they've made so little available that I have to yeah. in part. Otherwise, uh, I, just, I mean, it's like... <laughs> But it's like by design that that you you discredit yourself when you're trying to speculate towards someone who's just like, well, how and why and this well, it's and an that. easy like, straw well, man. It's an easy straw man to yeah. knock down a, a speculative theory because it's a speculative right. theory, and that's why that's it's so based important on... to just say we don't know. We're not forensic yeah. investigators. We're not criminal investigators, and unfortunately, most of the evidence has been destroyed. And that's what Mike Rupert, you know, for all his his faults about some of his other, you know. I, I mean, I, I think the guy has done really good research on 9-11, and he, he kind of jumped ship from the whole movement when the controlled demolition stuff started to take the number one slot, because he was just like, regardless of if this is good evidence or not, it'll never, the government will always be able to put up some expert witness who's better paid, has more credentials than we do, like, to right. combat this. Like, it's always, there, there's always going to be someone out there to, like, fight this. My coworker, who when I tell her about these patsies, like, like let's say this guy, you know, not Masawi, was it? Is it Masawi that we're talking about? The nineteenth, yeah, the nineteenth hijacker. Like people like him, who are literally patsies, or like the Christmas bomb or the underwear bomber guy, who we know now, you know, based on Kurt Haskell's report, that this guy was also a patsy. She, she was just like, well, what are they getting out of it? And I was just like, well. I don't, I mean, I don't know. All we know is that, <laughs> is that these people are, like, somehow involved in in the CIA or FBI. I mean, the fact that this guy was, you know, escorted on a plane without a passport in terms of the Christmas. Why do I keep fucking mixing that up? There's so many fake terrorist attacks. Like the underwear bomber, you know? I mean, Jesus Christ. I just read again that there was another underwear bomber last year, late last year, and that has been confirmed to be a CIA asset as well. Literally. And it's like exactly the same. I almost thought that I was reading like a verified account of Kurt Haskell's testimony because I was like, wait, have they just now come out like so long really after the funny. effect and admitted that this guy, because it read exactly like it. It was like he was, you know, escorted on the plane without a passport, da da da. And I was like, what? 
they're finally coming out admitting that this guy was a CIA agent, and then I read it was another one last year. <laughs> I can't keep track, I tell you. Abby, you're a tinfoil hat wearing yeah. truefer for thinking truefer. that for thinking that all of these things are not just coincidences of people who wanted to attack us that lead instantly to like draconian civil liberties erosion legislation <laughs> that was like already set up in advance. <laughs> okay, so 2006, the Mosawi trial is a bizarre circus in and of itself because it was at the peak of 9-11 truth and happening at the same time as this implosion in the, in the movement. Right. It was around the same time, generally speaking. May 9th, 2006 is the earliest iteration of the Screw Loose Change blog that I can find. And I feel idiotic even plugging it here. But I want to mention all these things because they happen around the same time. 911myths.com, mm-hmm. 911debunking.com. Very coordinated, and I'm not saying that they're necessarily ran by government agents, but they, it was almost like if they were just organic you know, people just wanting to fight against conspiracy theories that they thought were dangerous. It was in response to what was already... It was in response to agitation propaganda created by the media, again, based on the Musawi trial and based on the rising popularity of 9-11 truth. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and just let's say that they're not on the payroll of the government or, like, actually working to, like, try to squelch this legitimate, you know, internet uprising or just real-life uprising, too, and not just on the Internet, uh, that they are people who have faith in the state. They're not necessarily right-wingers or Bush supporters, but they're generally people who have faith in the state, and they see the 9-11 truth movement as disrupting that, causing people around them to question that faith. Yeah. And they want to feel like, there's a reason why, you know, like, they have faith in the state. Mm-hmm. So they don't want other people to lose faith in the state for this reason. Okay, so on August 9th, 2006, the liquid bomb terror plot happened, which didn't actually happen. People, a bunch of people got arrested, and only, I think, two out of the 20 people that were arrested actually got tried and put into jail. Yeah, because what happened is that they didn't have the capacity to even make explosives. It wasn't that they were, like, deterred and caught and this plot was stifled it was like actually like it couldn't have happened anyway um so that's that <laughs> once again like a, a totally and what did that lead to faked plot no liquids on a fucking airplane no liquids on the plane a little incremental thing and you know alone but taken with all this other stuff the shoes you know no the, la- the, security, the liquid the thing carry- is really fucking irritating really yeah. fucking irritating and i have to put these little tiny things in these bags and they explode the biggest terror plot since 9-11. The United Kingdom was going to be used for a direct attack on the United States. The plan to destroy 13 passenger jets, told by the people that stopped it. If this went wrong, the consequences would just be huge. National Geographic Channel's 11 Days to Remember continues with Liquid Bomb Plot, next. August 15, 2006, 9-11 debunking the book put a... Um, released by Popular Mechanics is, comes out and has a forward by none other than John McCain, oh, the man who went on television and said Saddam Hussein was behind the anthrax. Yep. Great job, guys, for putting a fucking key propagandist as the person to forward for your supposed debunking book for critical thinkers. So they just immediately, out of the gates, they just like, they're not even trying to be honest. You know, right. it's just like, here's our forward. It's by this respected politician, you know. 
So then on September 15th, 2000, September 12, 2006, 9-11 truth movement's in full swing still. Even though it's imploding as we as this timeline's going on, it's still imploding. Democracy Now!, normally a very responsible you know, organization that does great investigative reporting, pitted together the creators of Loose Change, Dylan Avery and Jason Burmis, with the guys who wrote the Popular Mechanics book to be like the end-all debate on 9-11 on their show. Right. Yeah, to have to have like government Again, lackeys who are trained with like a bunch of kids who just kind of put together a documentary. Yeah, like, I mean, not saying debate. that Dylan Avery no. and Jason Memers are. I mean, they did some great research, but they're young and they. Yeah. I don't think they're like they're not skilled debaters, you know. Right. Yeah, the whole honey pot even do that. Mm-hmm. And I and I still see a lot of people like when I'll get into nine eleven discussions. You're like, just watch this, dude. If you think like there's anything valid in the nine eleven truth, then watch this, like. And it was a way for democracy now to get off the hook and be like, look, we covered it. Yeah, and when did... when? It's funny, too, because it's like, they don't... When they do, like, debates on subjects, you can always usually tell what what side they're taking, even if it's very subtle. This was like, Amy Goodman was just like, I'm out. Like, fuck it. Like, I'm just going to sit on the sidelines and I don't give a fuck. Like, this is... Let's just let this play out the way it's going to. I mean, it's kind of obvious the way it was going to play out, too. Dudes who've been in the media industry for years, who who know PR spin, who know public speaking far better than these two young filmmakers, just you know, whatever. I mean, you could watch it for yourself. So yeah. this was a, so whatever you want to call this, this happened, you know. <laughs> yeah. And then then the documentaries started coming out. I mean, there was already like plenty of nine eleven conspiracy oriented documentaries coming out. A lot of good ones, which we went over in our previous episode. But this uh, February 18, 2007 is when the BBC documentary came out uh, that debunked 9-11. Um, August 2007 is when 9-11 Conspiracies Fact or Fiction aired on the History Channel. All the while, History Channel is airing shows which talk about aliens and that the Statue of Liberty is a code for Lucifer, like as if it's a fact, but at the same time, on their 9-11 documentary, they just debunk... They just, like, don't entertain any of these theories. They immediately just try to show you how they're not true. That's a really good point. Yeah. July 2008, BBC airs The Third Tower, their WTC7 debunking documentary. A month later, yeah, NIST... So some, someone at BBC is um, doing something, because... It's just odd that the BBC kind of pioneered all these debunking documentaries. And like listen really to the thorough. timing, too. They aired The Third Tower only a month before the report came out for NIST, the one we'd been waiting for for seven years. Right, about, finally, about the tower. Thermal yeah. expansion. Right. Right? Another invented theory. July 29, 2008, Bruce Ivins dies of an apparent suicide. Bruce Ivins was the second person who the government claimed was the perpetrator of the anthrax attacks. Um... We're gonna. We already linked to the timeline on a on a very in depth investigation on anthrax. So check that out. But that's who that is. Mm-hmm. Of an apparent suicide from Tylenol overdose. And this whole time, the American government made a point to leave us with the thought and the emotion that Arab terrorists sent anthrax. Right. Out to they people. never came out and said we're there sorry. Some, we lied. There were some stories and back page things about Stephen Hatfield being a person of interest, and they made a point to kind of parade him in the media a little bit. But it was never. They never backtracked on that extreme no. emotion. I mean, they never tried to correct it. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Which is horrid in and of itself to think about that. That this whole time they led us to believe that this is the work of terrorists. Yeah. And it's what got us into Iraq. Yeah. 
the plain whole time, simple. The whole time they've led us believe that that Al Qaeda was behind the anthrax attacks. The anthrax attacks were letters saying, you know, Allah's great. All this shit. I mean, they. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> you can go on for that forever, but so irresponsible. So one month after that, National Geographic airs their debunking documentary. It interviews a bunch of scientists for the pro-official story side, and then when it cuts to, like, the counter, cuts to people like Alex Jones to, like, as the science, and they're like, like, well, you didn't get any scientists on the right. pro side. yeah, where are all the you didn't get any. Coming? You didn't get any experts, really. You just got people who have opinions, which Alex Jones has some great... You know, opinions and statements he's made about 9-11, but he's not a scientist or an expert on right. architecture or fires. And I mean, it just it was just so blatantly um, disingenuous what they did, even in the title, you know. Yeah. Well, it's called 9-11 Science and Conspiracy. Except it's not going to be any science. <laughs> yeah, so those are like the three. I mean, like, if you want to see the debunking shit, you know, go check those out if you really want to see if you can stomach it. It's interesting I mean- to see the techniques they use. Right, but but I think that if the end-all, be-all should be watching those things, which we did, and then reading Dr. Griffin's book, Debunking 9-11 Debunkers. I mean, I hate that it keeps going, it seems like, circularly, but it is an extremely comprehensive book that just totally destroys the NIST report and the 9-11 Commission report, like, 100%. I mean, there's yeah. no... and I think Kevin Ryan did a good paper on linking people who worked for NIST... To, um, to who worked on the NAST report to people who filed patents on nanothermite demolition charges. There's another interesting connection. Mm-hmm. Um, the people in charge of the investigation of what happened were also involved in some of the technologies behind thermite to detonate mm-hmm. structures, which is interesting. Obama is already president at this point. We mm-hmm. just want to make that clear. He's the president of the United and States. And he's already made it very clear that there will be no investigation of anyone from the Bush No investigations. Dennis Kucinich tried to do a last-ditch impeachment effort. Um, Failed. Uh, the first major supposed or whatever terrorist attack, or let's just say the first major ad- agitation propaganda that happened in the uh, Obama administration in regards to the war on terror was the... Nadal Malik Hassan Fort Hood shooting, which happened on November fifth, two thousand and nine, and that was sort of, it was sort of ambiguous. It was sort of like the media and the government wasn't saying this is the work of Islamic terrorism, but it didn't really need. It was kind of like the DC sniper. He's a Muslim mm-hmm. guy. He was sympathetic to you know terrorists or whatever, and he shot I think eleven people, fifteen people at the military base, mm-hmm. and. In which, the is also, midst- which is also just interesting in itself, the whole gun argument that if everyone has a gun, shootings won't happen. Well, everyone had a gun at a military base. How come no one yeah. was able to... <laughs> it's just none of those stupid talking points right. that doesn't really make sense. It's like saying, well, why didn't you outlaw knives and forks? Well, because knives just, and forks can't kill yeah, 15 please, children please within five seconds. Please don't use those stupid talking points. With me. And the, the, I, the main thing that I take away from, from that, which led to the NDAA and basically the continuing escalated drone war was that they tried to imply that he was being inspired by Anwar Awlaki. Are you joking? No, I am not joking. This was a main... Wow, so com- everything literally is connected. Ab- absolutely. Absolutely. Amazing. So, amazing. so <laughs> look, at, look at that. This is when it was already a person um, of interest. Investigators connecting the dots now as they delve deeper into possible motives behind the attack on Fort Hood. And a key focus in the investigation is the suspect, Major Nidal Hassan's contacts with a radical Islamic cleric. That man is Anwar al-Awlaki, an exiled American who has become a powerful online voice. 
Our Carol Costello is live in Washington with an AM original for us this morning. And Carol, just who is this guy? You know, this guy, Anwar Awlaki, is like influencing people to commit terrorism. So it's not only, before it was like anybody could be a terrorist, anyone could commit terrorism, but now it's like this man's dangerous because he's inspiring people right. to commit terrorism. It no longer is Bin Laden, someone who is actually supposedly in control of a terrorist organization from the top down. Now it's people who inspire terrorism right. that are dangerous, which is taking it a step even further than before. And then, of course, from then, we've seen the extrajudicial assassination of Anwar Awlaki, his 16-year-old son, multiple other people. I mean, we've seen drone bombs, bombings, I mean, proliferate to the point where it's it's... Innumerable. I mean, it's hard to even keep track of how many drone bombings are going on in Pakistan. There's a giant shadow war going on. And think um, about this, too. It's the, unbelievable. Right after the, the Nadal Hassan Fort Hood shooting, um, a little over a month after that, December 25th, on Christmas Day, the underwear bomber. And that wow. led to uh, the 3D body scanners and pat-downs. Yeah, it's just... I just want to encourage people to really just connect the dots here because really, as I'm even learning how connected everything really is when it comes to the war on terror and why every incremental new erosion or, or implementation of something that's bad, it's always predicated on some fake or, or in part manufactured or hyped up or agit pop prop event. Yeah, and, and you could say, all yes, this all goes back to 9-11, but it's more nuanced than that. It goes back to 9-11, set this chain of events off, which they have to keep like pumping and injecting in this, this sort of emotion yeah. and fear every once in a while to get us to surrender more of our rights and to accept this conditioning. It's, it's like a... a um, they, they've, yeah, they, they know the timing is, is good too because it's like they, they only have to do it maybe like once or twice a year now and it still keeps us kind of in that mode of oh yeah terrorism's real and you know they're gonna they're, they're, they do want to kill us so you know it's it's interesting to see that what they need to do to get these things passed you know or yeah. they need to have happen I shouldn't say do I don't know if all of these were staged like the Fort Hood shooting yeah, I no, really I don't, don't know don't. about that. Underwear no. bomber is a lot more bizarre. It seems totally staged. Just look at the evidence for it. You yeah, know? no. I Kurt Haskell, seen, read I his testimony. Yeah, I haven't seen the evidence really for... Um, and we'll link to that in the timeline right now, too. We did an interview with him. But I haven't really seen evidence for the shootings in general to be staged to take away gun control. I find it much more problematic looking at just the erosion of every other liberty already. Um, yeah. And everything that's predicated, all of, all of those things. So... Looking at where we are now, um, I think it's clear that this is a machine. It's a machine run on profit. To call it any other name, such as the Illuminati, New World Order, Big Brother, even just these kind of terms that blind people from the truth, which is the obviousness of the fact that we can name these people. They're very brazen. They don't hide. Um, we know who they are. They're involved in... You could name some of them. I mean... And, and yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, there's probably hundreds that we don't know. But the people who are very public, who are in the legislative body, who are in the government, who are representing us, these people we know, these people that we know are complicit, they, they're covering up things that are criminal, um, they are lying, they do not represent the people, they represent corporate interests. It all ties in together with the surveillance state, the expansion of this thing. You're telling me that these people 
don't know how little of a threat terrorism is to us. I mean, of course they do. So they are all willing participants to an extent to maintaining this this um, fascism, this creeping fascism, this soft tyranny, and it's it's terrifying. And, and I think that it's very clear what we're living under, and the question is, can we restore this country it's it's almost like a misrepresentation to say that like america the american empire or like the american you know hegemony over the world it's a corporate empire america is an engine for corporate military domination money rules the world cream wu-tang cash rules everything around me i mean that's the that is the reality of the world we're living in and no matter how you look at it money is bigger than any country now corporate Corporate profits are bigger than any country. You know, America makes money. American companies make money. But the biggest companies are are not localized to any nation anymore. They're international. They dictate what we do through money or influence or power or whatever. Yeah. And, Mostly and, money. And I mean, so it all goes, so eventually goes to money. So if you do believe in that, so going back to our whole premise here, which is 9-11, if you do believe that, which it's very obvious, you know, that the corporatocracy kind of controls world governance, that, that there is no real nation state that is a hegemon, if that is true, then, you know, corporations we see profiteering off wars, uh, provocations all the time. Um, so would it not make sense to, to at least assume that the corporatocracy or this corporate controlled body that exists in the world knew about 9-11, um, in part helped engineer it and profited from it? I mean, they don't have allegiance to necessarily the United States of America. They're working externally from our country. It doesn't yeah. have to be Mossad. It doesn't have to be some sort of foreign intelligence apparatus in order to make sure that this no. happens. It's just a and it's when you this, say it, I mean, it doesn't even have to be more than, like, a group of ten people who know exactly what happened that day. Like, yeah, the, rest the rest of the players could just be unwitting participants or people right. who profited on it. But, you know, maybe they aren't even suspicious. Like, people who maybe even profit off the airline put options are just like, yeah, I was lucky, you know? Like, I was given yeah. this information. Given a hint, and that's And it. I took it, dude. I mean, this is why it is irresponsible to say the Mossad did 9-11 the American government to 9-11, mm -hmm. to say that Bush was behind 9-11. I mean, as far as we can see, there, I mean, it's pretty obvious that Cheney has, has committed crimes on 9-11. Like, right. whether he was involved in orchestrating it or if he just let hundreds of people die because he was too lazy or stupid or whatever to not issue an evacuation of the Pentagon. I mean, that's obvious. That's not even up for dispute. I mean, you right. can find that information out easily. But... Everybody else, it's like we don't. We really don't know their level of complicity. Right. Can't say for sure, and that's why it's to me it's it's more effective to just point out these individual facts. And, you know, and we made some connections between events here that are not necessarily provable, but but they're all just highly suspicious in, in the sense that they're timed and. Yeah. I mean, if we're living in this kind of Orwellian propaganda matrix, and it just seems a little bit too coincidental, you think that Bin Laden would be releasing this tape in the October surprise, not here. I mean, it's just all these things are just fake. Well, it's I mean, almost it's just, like it's just absurd. You can boil it all down to it's almost like they needed to produce this rhythm for us. It started out really yeah, intense, like, yeah. like this violent shaking. Like imagine you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. Imagine you have this this uh, out of control child or something, and you're violently shaking it to get it to stop crying or something. Some, you know, something like an abusive yeah. father would. 
do. And then after you've abused it and, and, and traumatized it, you just slowly rock it back and forth to keep it in this sort of lulled state. So it's almost like they've been like a sine wave. They've been rhythmically every once in a while reminding us of terrorism and 9-11 and heightening these fear levels in us to keep us in this certain mindset. And, they, and they've been doing it the whole time. They haven't stopped. There's, no, there's been no, like, dying down of this. I mean, it just keeps coming. You know, I mean, the last, the last big one was the, um, you know, I mean... The Benghazi, or the Benghazi, uh, you know, attack where they said that it yeah. was all because of this video and all the, you know, everyone hates us and da-da-da. And now, of course, the Bin Laden death. Well, yeah, the bin, in between, you know, the underwear bomber and now, Bin Laden raid happened. Yeah. Zero Dark Thirty got made. Mm-hmm. Anwar Al-Awlaki and his 16-year-old son were killed in a drone strike, and that sort of set the stage for the NDAA provision about, you know, yep. American citizens. Gaddafi was killed in a NATO uh, attack that was not even authorized by Congress. Um, I mean, these are just all things that have happened since right. the last, like, you know, supposed terrorism incident in the United States. So... It just you know the shit just keeps coming. I mean, we'll just have to wait and see what how they're going to keep reminding us of nine eleven. I mean, look at Homeland. Even a show like Homeland, it's like yeah. shit. I mean, most people who are into that show are like more intellectual minded people, and it's pure propaganda. Yeah, and uh, yeah, of course. And I just wanted to say one more thing about the movement as it stands now. Um, it's quite a shame that the people who, you know, William Rodriguez, I just talked to him actually today, and he said, like, he really likes the show, and he understands what I'm doing, and a lot of other people who I actually respect and admire, and who I look up to, who I consider heroes of 9-11, but yeah, there's a few very vocal, psychotic trolls who harass me and everyone I talk to online, um, saying that I've sold out because I don't address controlled demolition every day apparently on breaking the yeah. or because I don't address a Mossad or Jews running the world or because I don't address 9-11 even every day well the most like, common dude the most common one in regards to 9-11 I see level that you is that is the why didn't you have the architecture engineers on why didn't you have people to talk about building 7 that seems to be one that I on all the 9-11 related mm-hmm. stuff I mean the, the Jews one yeah that, that, that seems to be like a YouTube favorite yeah. like greatest hits in general but like <laughs> these I really do think that that um, that's that's a misdirection. Not that it's disinformation, or not that it's not valid. I mean, there's plenty of good information uh, and stuff in that research, but it's misdirecting people from the clear, provable evidence that you can pinpoint in which they covered it up and lied right. about stuff. That that doesn't. It's that's not having nothing to do with like a giant you know and and like you've said on previous episodes if we ever got another investigation we'd have to subpoena these organizations that were part of the cover-up to get information yeah how how could we do a forensic investigation if all the rubble has been destroyed and the people who've been holding it this whole time are complicit in the cover-up right so it's it is you can look at as many videos as you want but you can't you cannot prove it with physical evidence you're right. Even even the chain of custody of evidence for Stephen Jones's dust. I mean, I believe that he's not like that. The people who gave the dust, like it's totally in good faith, but that still wouldn't hold up in court. You know, exactly. like there's still exactly. No, you're you're absolutely right. And and where it stands today is, I mean, obviously 9/11 is the crux of of this whole new era that's been ushered in of complete 
the terror and systematic erosion of everything that we've grown up with. But aside from that, I mean, it's just important for us to acknowledge it, but not still be mired down and obsessed with it and, and be yelling at people who are on our side and yeah. who are doing good work about this and harassing them because I've realized how damaging it is. I mean, even just being on the other side of even though I don't censor 9-11, and we talk about it all the time, especially on our yeah. radio show, yep. it's amazing the amount of harassment that I'm getting, let alone I'm thinking, you know, Rachel Maddow or, or Amy Goodman or people who might have looked at it, might have taken it seriously. And, I, and I'm not giving Amy Goodman or Rachel Maddow a pass. I do think that Amy Goodman probably does have thoughts that she knows that it would be career suicide if she came out and said them. But that isn't helping. I mean, that's a completely insane effort that is doing nothing but destruction. And um, it just, it's just bad. So, um, I, don't, I mean, where we stand today is just, you know, let's just keep... Keep uh, awakening people to this information. It's never too late. It's never too late to, to talk to someone about this, um, and it never will be too late. This is a very main part of our history, it's a, and it's not too late to, to address it, to tie it back into everything that's going on today, and to continue to bring it up and um, everything that will happen. Yeah, and I, I don't want to go against everything we just said and, and believed in this broadcast, but, like, look at, you know... Look at all the information you've found so far if you've researched this, all the information we've, you know, broadcast to you in, in our 9-11 and Anthrax episodes, and try to, like, a counterattack against this agitation propaganda is to find things that you think will resonate emotionally with other people and use your own, but fact-based, you know, backed up with actual facts that are bulletproof, your own agitation propaganda against theirs, and I think you'll, I mean, you'll almost always find that it's more powerful because it's based on fact. Their agitation propaganda is based mostly on emotion and, like, connections that aren't really there. You know, between, you know, like, beheading Nick Berg, um, mm -hmm. you know, these people cut people's heads off. They're barbarians. I mean, just those kind of things, like, they're very easy to defeat with facts, you know. Even just showing, I mean, I've been in this circular argument with these people on a forum for months about the idea that, Focusing in on the fact that Islamic cultures are more fascistic and more uh, have worse human rights abuses than other religions is a valid subject to like tackle as like a focus. Like if you're a human rights advocate, and my whole thing is, it's like in the bigger context of human rights abuses, it's actually pretty minuscule. I think that that is a form of agitation propaganda, even when it's guised under this intellectual bent, where it's like, well, I'm an atheist, and I think all religions are are terrible but among them the islam is the most you know egregious mm -hmm. because it's the most you know trying to defeat people's like um you know anti-religious thought because i'm that much of an atheist i still think that that is fed in part by the emotional agitation propaganda designed to change people's minds and to get people to like spread hatred yeah and i think that everything that's going on today even though we probably won't ever get the truth about 9-11 i mean face it we still haven't gotten the truth about jfk and and there's so much covered up and like you just said the evidence has all been destroyed it's up to us to immediately point it out instead of five years down the line when no one's going to care especially 10 years later yeah. everyone's saying oh the iraq war who cares we were all duped it's time that we zero in on this now expose it as it's happening and, and record it real time 
with a timeline of our own historical account of, of reality. And that's what I guess Breaking the Set's trying to do, and that's what Media Roots is trying to do, is really zero in on this, expose it for what it is, and try to prevent something like this from ever happening again. Yeah. I mean, just like Carl Rove says, we you know we create reality. <laughs> what we're doing, what we're trying to do in this episode is sh- show you the reality is it actually happened. Right. You know, like, this is, like, these are the key events. Like, with all, with all that, without all that other noise of the elections and the, mm-hmm. and all that other bullshit, this is, like, these are the things that erased our civil liberties. Right. And have put us where we are today. And we're not, we're not in a better place. I mean, <laughs> you know, you may be, you know, if you were born in 1990 and you're only 10 years old when 9-11 happened, it may seem totally normal to you, but it's really not normal. It's not. No. We have significantly changed as a country. And I think the most disturbing thing for me is to watch people be okay with it. Intelligent, very like smart people who are not pro-government are not bothered by it in the sense that they don't feel like it affects them personally. They're just like, oh, well, it's, it's bad. And yeah, it's like should go away, but like I'm not affected by it. Personally. That's the sophistication and genius of the new rebranding of the it Obama is. It's war on terror, and it's and that's where we're at. And so when people say we're better off because Bush is in president, I actually don't agree because it really is this soft fascistic takeover and rebranding of of the same yeah imperialist aggressor. You know, the Obama administration's thumb. war on terror propaganda agitation propaganda has been much more like relaxed and casually yeah. thrown out there. The most extreme thing that probably happened was the, as far as like an immediate response, sort of like Patriot Act to. No, I think it was like the underwear bomber leading to the 3D scanners. Because that was like, those shit was ready to go. I mean, the yeah. 3D scanners were there. It was just like, boom. You know, and then like the whole debate about getting patted down. To me, that's that probably the most. Under, was that under Obama? Yeah. Really? That was. Oh, absolutely. Wow. Yeah, see, it's even hard to remember that because yeah, it's like, yeah, wait, yeah, that sounds so Bush-like. Well, and also, like, Michael Chertoff, on? Michael Chertoff, the former head of the, the, um, I'm sorry, the former head of the DHS, during all the fuck-ups of Katrina and stuff, he is now a lobbyist for Rapiscan, the main company that implemented the body scanners. So no way. Yeah. I was like, wow, are you really shocked? <laughs> um, I think what wasn't John Ashcroft like this? Part of sits on the board of some one of those yes. companies now too. I forgot yep. what. Yeah, it's all. It all goes around. It all know. comes around, goes around. Yeah, that's what I. That's what I mean when I say these people. It's like we know who the the propagandists are. We know who's doing this shit. Like, let's call them out. Yeah. Um, but I'm gonna take off because it's one, and I have work tomorrow. But it was awesome to go over all of this stuff, and we'll definitely be doing another radio show soon, just talking about current events, and we just thought it was important to kind of outline a lot about 9-11 and everything that's happened and how it ties together for Media Roots. Yeah, and just how it's tied together in your own life, whether you feel it personally or not, because Mm -hmm. these shifts have happened and law is is in a different place than it was 10 years ago. It's in a completely different place. And now drones are normal, you know? Like, that's indirectly a result of this sort of rhythm that's happened, you know, from since 9-11. And, yeah, I mean, we could talk about this forever. But yeah, and the rest anyone... of the world looks to us for, like, the example, and, and that's why everyone else is going to get away with this shit, too, because we're setting kind of this moral example around the world. Of course, everyone doesn't really look to us as the moral exemplar, but do you know what I'm saying? Like, in terms of militarily, it's like we're setting the stage now for just a whole new era of robot wars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And it's just important for us to just be awake, alert, aware, and like just be educating each other. Yeah. And Don't live in fear. I mean, it's too easy to to get to that point. I mean, yeah. you just got to realize that you know, don't don't be afraid. Just keep talking about it and keep trying to wake people up about it and do it in a responsible way because you know, it's really easy to you know, for people to latch on to like one incorrect thing you say, you know, and try to defeat you or whatever. I mean, a lot of those times people like that aren't even worth arguing with in the first right. place, but just, you know, just make sure you have your facts. And a lot of the things in the 9-11 truth movement that have been in various movies have been um, disinformation. And that, and it's not, you know, people have made mistakes. People have revised, like Dylan Avery revised Loose Change over time to make it much more solid. Final Cut is great as far as the resources, especially the first half, not about controlled demolition. So, you know, everybody makes mistakes. You learn from those mistakes and... You know, just make just, your case just stronger. Just keep an open mind. I mean, yeah. just keep an open mind and just, even if you don't agree with anything that we just said, just keep an open mind about everything that's happened since and, and what will continue to happen. I mean, just look at everything critically because we can't trust these people at all. I mean, that is not no. right now. No. So. I mean, if you think the Bush administration lied about dummy MDs, well then, <laughs> you, you know, just look a little bit further and you could see that they lied about almost every single thing that they did. And so does Barack Obama. And it's not that the presidents are liars, it's that the office itself is a platform for a figurehead to lie on behalf of an organization that's lied for the last century, at least. I mean, probably even longer. But this right. is the American government is one of the most powerful propaganda purveyors in the entire mm-hmm. world. And within working in tandem with the Western corporate-owned media, it's... It's incredibly strong and effective, yeah. and that's we just got to keep pushing back against that. You know, and everyone tune into Breaking the Set, <laughs> Breaking yeah. the Set uh, on YouTube, and um, you know we're doing this shit every day, just breaking apart the the propaganda model. But Robbie was awesome to talk to. I'm gonna take off now. Everyone, uh, oh, I wanted to say one more quick thing. Everyone, donate to MediaRoots.org if you want to see these broadcasts continue. We're a very small operation. We're launching our new website soon. We need writers. We need researchers. We need everyone who can help, um, who's a capable writer. So get in contact with us, info at MediaRoots.org. And, um, you know, we're a very grassroots project. We appreciate your support. We appreciate you listening to the show. Have a good night, Abby. You too, dude. Good night, everybody. Or good, night. good day, whatever time good it day, is. Good day, good night, good afternoon, <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> the Bush administration will allow National Security Advisor Condoleezza Rice to testify publicly before the 9-11 Commission. For President Bush, it was a dramatic reversal. I've ordered this level of cooperation because I consider it necessary to gaining a complete picture of the months... And even years. the president and vice president Received agreed to meet with the commission, but with a catch. They insisted on meeting together behind closed doors and not under oath. Why are you and the Vice President insisting on appearing together before the 9-11 Commission? Because the 9-11 Commission wants to ask us questions. That's why we're meeting, and I look forward to meeting with them and answering their questions. Uh, Why you're appearing together rather than separately, which was their request? Because it's a good chance for both of us to answer questions that the 9-11 Commission is Uh, looking forward to asking us, and I'm looking forward to answering them. Let's see. We have to have one story, so I'll say part, and if I get it wrong, hedge a little bit and give me the next.
I want to thank the chairman and vice chairman for giving us a chance to share views on, a, on, on, on different subjects. And they had a lot of good questions. And I was, I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I took the time. What topic did the commissioners want to spend most of the time on? Uh, I, I really, it's probably best that I not go into the details of the conversation. The president and vice president of the United States, don't you think they should be able to stand up and, and, and speak their own words? They should go under oath. They should be, yeah, in public. Don't you think that the families deserve to have a transcript or to be able to see what you Adam, said? Adam, you asked me that question yesterday. I got the same answer, yeah.